You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? You are listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find out full of surprises. Not over yet. No, there is another. Chewie, we're home. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news and rumors on all the exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, with me. How's it going, Tim? Hey, what's up, Kyle? Doing good. Just trying my best to make this week and next week to go by as quickly as possible as I wait to get The Last Jedi on (laughs) Blu-ray. And it's a little bit been hard this week now that it's on digital and I'm holding out but i'm trying to pass the time by reading the last jedi novelization which i just got last week but at the same time it's both good and bad because it's good where i'm getting new new star wars content to help pass the time but bad because every time or chapter i read it just makes me want to see that scene in the movie and like i just wish i could (laughs) pop it in right now and check it out but it'll be here soon i'm just excited to you know that's going to be the next big star wars thing coming up in the you know next couple of weeks but Man, we got some awesome stuff to talk about on this episode. Yes, we do. And, uh, you know, it's good to be back. We obviously haven't uh, put an episode out for a while. Um, It's been a little slow with news and stuff lately, but also, you know, life's just been busy and whatnot. Um, But we're finally back. And uh, I think to make up for um, the amount of time that's passed since our last episode, we should have a decent amount of stuff coming down the pipe here pretty soon. Because this episode, we're going to talk a lot about... um, I'm just kind of recapping some little bits of news that have come out um, and one big piece of news uh, that came out recently. And then also we're going to talk about the Star Wars Rebels finale. Um, Next week, we're going to be recording another episode um, and uh, we're bringing in a a special guest host for that one. Um, And we're going to be talking about more about Star Wars Rebels and just the entire series in general. Um, And then I think probably the week after that, we'll probably do another episode and just talk about The Last Jedi again after that comes out on Blu-ray and um, go over all the the bonus features and just kind of do an in-depth review of that whole thing. Um, So excited to be back. Let's get to talking Star Wars. Um, And of course, the big news that came out recently is we are getting more new Star Wars content in addition to the new movies and stuff that have been announced. Um, they just recently announced that John Favreau, the director of Iron Man, the voice of Pre Vizsla in Clone Wars, and uh, you know, pretty prominent uh, Hollywood writer director, is going to be writing and producing a live action Star Wars series, um, and that that is going to be coming to Disney's new streaming service that launches in 2019. Um, 
I think that's when the streaming service launches. We don't know exactly when the uh, Star Wars series is going to premiere, but you would imagine they'd want to get that off the ground pretty soon after because that's going to bring a lot of people to that service. So, um, Definitely. I mean, they just announced this now, so I don't know if it's too you know, too late for uh, us to be hoping for a premiere of this series sometime in 2019, but I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility, but uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But regardless, I think this is some pretty exciting news, but uh, Tim, what was your reaction to this? Yeah, definitely unexpected and surprising, but great news nonetheless. I mean, love John Favreau's work with, as a director with Iron Man and then recently with the Jungle Book. Even though we haven't seen anything from it yet, but uh, it's cool that he's doing a live-action Lion King movie after what he did with Jungle Book, so I can't wait for that. And how can I forget his biggest claim to fame as an actor, his role as Eric the Clown on Seinfeld. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if we can bring that to Star Wars, I mean, we're going to be in for something truly special. But <laughs> no, yeah, I'm just glad to have him back in Star Wars. I mean, it was also, uh, it was revealed to, like, might have been a, just a week or maybe two before we got this announcement that, we knew he was going to be as a, a voiceover in Solo, and then it got revealed. I think he sent the tweet out about how he's playing that little like forearm monkey creature and that gun turret in the trailer. Mm-hmm. So he'll be doing the voice for him. So just the fact you know he's done voiceover in Star Wars, he was awesome as Pre Vizsla, and now that he's going to be joining the more creative side to Star Wars and for this new TV show that everyone's excited about, but yet still wondering what it's going to be. The idea that. John Favreau is now going to be the producer and a writer on it. This I think is really, really cool. So just glad to have him in the creative Star Wars family now. So I just can't wait to see what he brings. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, like you said, I, I'm a big fan of a lot of his his movies and stuff. Um, and I just think it's cool to have like somebody who's a director in Hollywood who came in kind of as a cameo almost to do like a voice in Clone Wars. Yeah. And it wasn't really a cameo necessarily, although it might've been like the first time that Pre Vizsla showed up and, you know, they probably didn't have things roadmapped all the way out to Darth Maul at that point. Um, or I maybe they... remember, right. I think the story was like, he was mixing the sound at Skywalker for Iron Man. And like Dave Filoni was there working on Clone Wars. They started talking and that's kind of how he just asked him to do the part <laughs> for Pre Vizsla. And it all just came from what chance meeting where they were both, uh, working at Skywalker Sound. It was either there or, or in the offices of Lucasfilm, but it was just like a chance meeting where it wasn't something that they actually had planned out. They just started talking, and then that's how Dave Filoni wanted to get him for pre Oh, yeah, and that totally makes sense, um, especially because I know like there's that trilogy of Mandalore episodes in Season 2 of Clone Wars where pre shows up for the first time, and I know the second episode of that three-parter was originally supposed to be its own standalone episode and be in Season 1. Um, and so originally John Favreau probably thought he was just going to do a one-off thing and then ended up getting roped into, you know, playing this character through, you know, all his whole season long story arcs with trying to retake Mandalore and all that. Um, but I mean, Pre Vizsla is one of my favorite characters in Clone Wars, and that's definitely one of my favorite arcs once he gets wrapped up with Darth Maul and all that. Um, so I just think from like a Star Wars fan perspective, just to see, uh, like a voice actor from Clone Wars come back to be helming a, uh, a Star Wars live action series, I think is pretty cool. But obviously he's much more well-known in Hollywood for like his writing and directing and producing and not his voice acting, but um, just having, you know, that Star Wars connection and then also having the uh, Hollywood street cred, if you will, um, and the talent to back him up. I think it's going to be really cool and exciting to see what he's going to be able to do with this. Yeah, um, totally. Which brings us to the inevitable question. 
wild <laughs> speculation time. Oh yes. <laughs> um, what what kind of story material do you want to see? Where do you want to see this take place? Any any thoughts about characters or timelines or anything like that? What are you hoping for? And it's weird with this one because the TV, a live action TV series is just going to be such a different animal for Star Wars, and. More so than what I was hoping to see, because we did a lot of speculation with, you know, Ryan Johnson's trilogy and then David Benioff and D.B. Weiss's movies series that they have planned. And with the TV show, it's, I was kind of thinking not more what I want to see, but kind of something that I hopefully don't want to see. And that's uh, kind of just mainly dealing with the Empire again and set in the original trilogy era. Because a part of me, I wouldn't say worry, because if that's what they do, I'm going to watch it and probably end up loving it anyway. But we've been getting a lot of that. And to me, I just think setting the Star Wars TV show in that era seems pretty easy. And maybe that could be the direction they want to go because of that. But I'm just kind of hoping for something totally different, if I'm going to be honest. I really don't have a set era that I'm wishing for with this series. Well, I do that with other stuff, like with movies and maybe other animated series. With this one... I'm just kind of open for whatever they give me. And like I said, kind of hoping it's out of the original trilogy era where it's just not, we're just seeing uh, stormtroopers walking around and all that stuff. Because we've been getting a lot of that lately with, you know, Rogue One and then Solo Star Wars story coming up. And not to mention, <laughs> that's where a majority of the comics are taking place in. So I'm kind of hoping for something different where it's just, even if it's a little bit before that era or it's in the prequel era or even a little bit after, like the beginning of the sequel trilogy era. But I'm just kind of open for anything different and just you know i want to be surprised with this one really and uh, hopefully we'll find out soon because like you said we know it's coming out in 2019 we don't know if the series is going to launch with it but i can't imagine disney not wanting to have a live action star wars series be the biggest selling point for the streaming service mm-hmm. <laughs> when it launches so um that's kind of gets me back to maybe wanting to get something off the ground a little quickly if the original trilogy era would make that easier um to do that but i don't know so not too much speculation on my end as far as what i'm hoping to see but i'm just really anxious to see and hear about what we're gonna get because like i said this is uncharted territory for star wars a live action tv series i mean the questions of how how it's gonna look is it gonna feel like the movies that we're used to and accustomed to because you know as star wars fans we can get pretty spoiled and we want everything to look and feel exactly right especially on the live action front so you know that was a big hang up with uh, the Star Wars Underworld TV, when Lu- TV series when Lucas was trying to get that developed after the Revenge of the Sith, and he's just, he couldn't do it for budget reasons. So hopefully, I mean, maybe it's going to be taken from those old scripts. I don't know. That'll be interesting if they do, but I just kind of have a feeling kind of what Disney's been doing all along since they got uh, bought Lucasfilm is kind of doing everything new and not taking old stuff that they have and put, doing their own uh, spin and stories with it so i kind of have a feeling that's the direction they're going to go so i'm not really thinking it is going to be taken from star wars underworld but you know crazier things have happened so we'll see but i'm just saying just and excited to see what it's actually going to be once they do decide to announce it yeah it's uh, i mean there's so many possibilities here um but you know i gotta go back and beat my kotor drum again <laughs> because i mean as much as Gosh, was it just our last episode when we talked about uh, uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss from Game of Thrones doing their trilogy? And I talked about how cool it would be to see those guys tackle some Old Republic stuff just because of, um, like, the the world building and the lore and the, the stuff that they're able to bring to Game of Thrones. I think 
that would just sort of their style, I think, would fit a, a KOTOR series really well. But I also think that a TV series would be a really good uh, sort of opportunity and a really good avenue for those type of stories that, like, might be a little bit off the beaten path for, like, mainstream audiences. Um, mm. And, you know, might be a li- just a little bit uh more of like a niche target audience than you know you'd want to have for like a, a mainstream film trilogy um at the same time whether it's movies tv whatever you put star wars on the name and people are going to go see it but um man it, it would be just so cool to get to explore that in a series where you could um i don't know you could explore like a whole kind of range of timelines from um way back in the days of the old republic building up to uh you know a little bit closer to the movies or maybe deal with a variety of different characters like some of the ancient sith lords and stuff like that um and again like you said not that they all have to be canon versions of like darth revan and darth bane and you know all those guys that we've heard about but it could be almost kind of more like even if they want to do their own thing and just create new characters it could be just kind of an anthology um of stories taking place hundreds or thousands of years before uh you know the beginning of phantom menace so um i think there's just so much sort of untapped potential in that area right now, especially like within the new canon of, you know, just areas where none of those stories have been told yet, but that have been hinted at enough in like Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff to make us think that we'll get canon versions of those stories at some point. Um, And I think a live action series would be a really cool place to do that. So um, that's kind of my number one sort of pipe dream right now, I guess. but like you said, I'm I'm kind of open to anything, but it would be nice to see them kind of veer off the beaten path of just more original trilogy stuff. Um, I think if anything, like I'd like to see it either in between, like either some Old Republic stuff or something set in between six and seven. Um, or maybe, you know, and like you said, if they want to go back to and, and resurrect that old, that whole old Star Wars underworld idea too. Um, and have it be set between three and four and maybe more focused on like the bounty hunters and the criminal underworld and stuff like that. That could be cool. Um, yeah. And I just have a feeling too, that the series is going to deal more with, you know, not necessarily the underworld, but maybe set on a group of pirates on a ship or smugglers, something that's not really dealing with Jedi and the force. And cause I don't know, I just think that's something where we, we've seen a lot of that stuff in clone wars and rebels obviously, which we'll get into later, but uh, with the live action stuff, I'm just curious if they're going to save a lot of, you know, the stories that they want to tell with more Jedi and about the Force, if they're going to save that for the movies, for Ryan Johnson's trilogy, for Benioff and Weiss's series, and leave kind of the more, uh, for lack of better words, grander, grounded more stories in the Star Wars universe that deals with, you know, kind of the ordinary people in the galaxy without Force powers and dealing with the Jedi. I can actually see them doing wanting to tell more stories with that on the tv front and i don't know i got kind of split on how i feel about that because at the same time i think that would be a good avenue to explore that side of the star wars universe a little bit more but then also too i mean uh they can easily do stories about jedi and stuff (laughs) that would make for a cool tv series as well so that's just Mm -hmm. another thing i'm kind of wondering what direction they're going to go or are they going to do a mix of the two like we've seen with rebels kind of 
you know, mixing with smugglers and just, you know, scoundrels out the galaxy with a Jedi sprinkled in here and there <laughs> throughout. But also you make a good point, too, about an anthology series. And we were kind of talking about that with the movies not too long ago of, you know, bringing that anthology name back instead of just the Star Wars stories. And I think it could be kind of cool, too, if each season focused on a different era, different characters of the galaxy. I mean, kind of I never seen the show, but I believe that's kind of what uh, how, like True Detective is. Is where it fo- mm. each season focuses on a different set of characters, but if, if something's like Star, they could do that something like that with Star Wars. That could be pretty cool, just so you're not kind of stuck in the same era and just make it a little bit different for this new streaming service and for Star Wars TV show. So I would be down for that as well, because you know, as we talked about so often, <laughs> there's you know no shortage of eras and characters and storylines that you can pick from from the Star Wars galaxy. So if one season deals with you know, the old Republic you were saying, and then the next season goes into sequel trilogy era. Just, you know, it doesn't matter what they can do. I think that could be a pretty cool avenue to explore as well for a, a structure to have this series be based on. So, yeah, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, just to go back to what you were saying about um, Jedi versus smugglers and, like, what kind of group they might be dealing with. Um, I mean, I, I can see what you're saying about them maybe wanting to save, like, the more Jedi-centric stuff for their movies. But at the same time, I feel like there's such a huge opportunity to delve deeper into that stuff in a series than they normally go in the movies. As far as yeah. delving even more into uh, Jedi lore and history and just the mythology of the Force. I mean, in the same way that, um, you know, Clone Wars and Rebels do, like stuff like the Mortis trilogy and like some of the stuff we're going to talk about from these last few episodes of rebels, you'll probably never see stuff on that level in, um, you know, in a, a film trilogy. Cause that's kind of more like hardcore, like let's get into the nitty gritty mythology of star Wars for the hardcore fans that really care about it. Um, but that's, that's totally disappointing to me, but I'll get into that later. <laughs> it, it, I, I definitely, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but, and I mean, who knows, maybe somebody will go into that with a movie, um, at some point, it definitely doesn't seem like that's the way they wanted to go with the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's totally something they could do with a, uh, a live action series. I mean, to have something on, like I said, on the scale of like Mortis or something like that, that we've seen in animation, um, to see that in a live action series, I think would be way cool. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> Just to bring in more of that, like, because uh, we've seen it in animation, like I said, that more fantasy aspect of Star Wars. Like, I love to see that stuff in the movies, and I, I think we'll eventually get that too, depending on what all the movies have in development. But if we can get that in a TV series as well, I would love that because that's just some of my favorite aspect of Star Wars. It just bring, when it deals with the Force and hence having that more fantasy feel to it, I think it'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, who knows how long we'll have to wait to uh get some official details about this thing but um man it's just it's crazy because we like we keep talking about how great of a time this is to be a star wars fan and how much exciting new stuff is coming out um and to think back to like a couple years ago when it was just like oh we got the sequel trilogy and uh you know rogue one and a han solo movie coming out like that's gonna be a lot of star wars well now we've got the Han Solo movie coming up, episode nine, and 
two different well a, a film trilogy from ryan johnson a film series of unknown number of films from david benioff and db weiss a live action series from john favreau um presumably some more animated content from dave filoni uh after rebels and we don't know anything about what that's going to be yet but i mean all signs point to them working on more stuff besides just rebels um at lucasfilm right now so um man just the the future possibilities are endless and there's just so much fertile ground for them to tell all these different kinds of stories and i cannot wait to see what they're going to come up with i know that's just right now i mean this john favreau news came out of nowhere last week and who knows what next thursday could bring <laughs> like this right new stuff just keeps dropping and we think you can't get any more <laughs> it just keeps happening so yeah it just builds the excitement more and more which is awesome for a star wars fan yeah and you know like if this disney service takes off and is successful like we're not gonna get just one star wars series yeah <laughs> so you know we can speculate till the cows come home about like what's gonna be in john favreau's live action series but Obviously, it's probably going to focus on just one thing and then all these other theories and, you know, possibilities and stuff that we have could end up being their own, you know, other series from other creators somewhere down the line. So, um, yeah, just lots of of potential for cool stuff coming in the future Um, and just cannot wait to uh, get our hands on all of that. And think by the time this series comes out, how much more future stuff is going to be announced by that point. I know. <laughs> it just keeps coming. Um, well, let's back up for a moment and uh, talk about the last Star Wars movie to come out, um, The Last Jedi. And I mean, we kind of mentioned this during our intro a little bit, but um, obviously we've got details now on the home release for The Last Jedi. It is out now on digital um, just as of, what, this past Tuesday or something? Um, so you can check that out, or if you want to wait for the Blu-ray, that comes out on March 27th, um, and I'm waiting to pick that up, but, um, man, it seems like there's no shortage of, uh, material to dive into here. Um, of course, we got the movie, you got, um, a full-length documentary called The Director and the Jedi, um, just going behind the scenes with Ryan Johnson and his whole process of making the movie, um they got some scene breakdown um kind of making of kind of things showing um the creation of the space battle from the beginning um the creation of supreme leader snoke and then the uh the showdown on crate um and then this andy circus live one night only um where uh i mean i guess this is getting into uh kind of some behind the scenes of just andy circus doing his performance as snoke um, on set and then we got lots of deleted scenes i think there's supposed to be 14 deleted scenes on yeah. there so uh that is good to hear for those of us who were disappointed with uh some of the lack of deleted scenes from the force awakens um and definitely rogue one because i still don't think they ever put out any deleted scenes for that right oh yeah yeah it was like we didn't delete any scenes we just kind of rewrote the whole end of the movie but <laughs> um you know, so we got plenty of deleted scenes and then audio commentary too. So I love this because it doesn't sound like they're really leaving much out for a uh, a future release. You know, like collector's edition later in the year, like they did with the Force Awakens, and kind of holding back some of the stuff. Um, I don't know that this includes a 3D release version, but it does come in 4K, which is kind of the new thing nowadays. Like I don't even know anybody that has 3D Blu-ray players, so. Um, yeah, just the fact that, you know, you can get the 4k Blu-ray with, you know, all this stuff right now. It's nice that, uh, you know, we can 
get this all right off the bat. So um, you can pick that up, like I said, on the 27th. Um, and they got some info on here about like the different versions you can get from Target and Best Buy and um, all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't know, Tim, which uh, which version of this you think you're going to go with? Well, as always, I'll be getting at least two copies. <laughs> uh, definitely getting the Steelbook from Best Buy and uh, the Target. Those are usually my two go-to places because they're the ones that have the best exclusives, in my opinion. Target seems really good this year with that uh, art book that's going to be bundled with it. Mm-hmm. Well, that looks cool. And I just always love the Steelbooks, and which I got to pre-order that. <laughs> I got to make sure I don't miss out on that one because I went to go get uh, Justice League this past week on 4K Blu-ray and they were all out of they had a cool steel book version of that where it was comic book art by Jim Lee and it looked awesome but they didn't have any left for the 4K like well uh, better, better make sure I don't miss out on the Star Wars one so I got to pre-order that so I'll be definitely getting those two but man really tempted to get in that digital version <laughs> this <laughs> week I mean, see as we, you were reading out all the special features I agree this sounds like a jam-packed awesome list of special features that we're getting with this release I and mean, like you mentioned 14 deleted scenes the audio commentary i was so happy to see that on this press release that they're putting that in there on the first release not waiting like they did the force awakens and the documentary i mean again making it harder not to get it on uh xbox you just go to the store i i just clicked on it i wasn't gonna buy it i was just gonna click on it to see what they had listed on there and they have the runtime of pretty much all the special features and it's like the director and the jedi is an hour and a half so it's a pretty lengthy documentary which i just can't wait to dive into and i'm trying really hard not to see any clips from it that are being released and i'm trying to avoid on twitter people that are talking about it everyone's saying it's awesome so i'm glad to hear that but at the same time i don't want to find out why it's awesome just yet (laughs) i want to see why it's awesome when i finally watch it and then also i've heard great things about the andy circus live documentary Uh, my friend dane sent me a text yesterday just says like tim i know you're avoiding stuff on those blu-rays but this special feature was phenomenal it just makes you appreciate what andy Sergis does even more so that's another one i really can't nice. wait to see i've heard great things about that so like i said at the beginning gotta make these this week and next week go by as quickly as possible because i just mm-hmm. can't wait to dive into all this stuff and let alone watch the movie again there's that too <laughs> right yeah i was just listening to the uh soundtrack again on my way like to and from work over the past couple days um, just kind of getting amped up, like, you know, after hearing about, um, all this stuff with the release and I was like, man, I'm just, um, part, part of me is just excited to watch the movie again. Um, as much as I am excited to get into all the bonus materials and stuff like that too. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go for the, the Best Buy Steelbook or the Target one. I've been getting all the Target versions so far, but now that, cause like I usually go with the Target because they have extra bonus materials yeah. on there. Um, and after having seen the bonus materials now for like Force Awakens and Rogue One, like it was cool at the time, but now I'm sitting here a couple of years later looking at them on my shelf going, man, I wish I had some cool steelbooks for those. <laughs> um, so I might go with that one instead this time. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, um, I'm pretty sure those are the only two. Cause usually Walmart has one, but I didn't see them list Walmart in the press release for any exclusive. Yeah, it's at least not listed in the press release here, just the Target, the Best Buy, and then just the standard um, you know, 4K Ultra HD. And actually, this is even listed as the Ultimate Collector's Edition, so um, I don't think it's going to get much more ultimate than that. Yeah, another cool thing, too, which, going back to the digital release, and I forget, too, how long it's going to last, but I don't know if you saw, but Ryan Johnson tweeted on Tuesday that 
through the Movies Anywhere app where you know get the digital copy, there's a way you can watch The Last Jedi just with uh, the music score with no dialogue or sound effects. Whoa. And I always thought that would be a cool feature, and I think it's only exclusive to that Movies Anywhere. So I just hope it lasts long enough to where once we redeem our digital copies that come with the Blu-ray, that it's still up there. Because I think that'd be a really cool way to experience the movie. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't heard about that, but yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so hopefully it's still up there. I mean, but part of me thinks it's, you know, just another one of those things to try to get you to get it early with the digital release. <laughs> and it, yeah, it could all be. these things is making it harder. Man, it's like temptations there. <laughs> like, even Ryan Johnson's doing it with these little extra special features right there. It's like, oh, you're not making it easy. Yeah, definitely. Because, man, um, if they didn't, bu- they didn't bundle a digital code with these releases, I'd get the digital version of the heartbeat right now, which is really hard to justify <laughs> getting it when you, two weeks just before you get the Blu-ray and the digital copy. That oh, through. I know, right? Yeah, like, because I've got the digital copy, you know, of, like, Force Awakens and Rogue One just from getting that code through the Blu-ray um, and have them both on my iTunes and stuff. So it's like, yeah, it's hard to justify buying that now because, of course, you got to have the Blu-ray to, you know, sit there on your shelf with all the other movies. Of course. And, you know, digital, it looks really good, but it's still not quite on the level as Blu-ray. Yeah. Well, and so. especially with the 4K now, but, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even have a 4K TV um and still, like, I can tell the difference between just regular Blu-ray and, like, a, you know, HD stream or uh, HD digital copy. And the Blu-ray is still clearly superior. So Yeah. And um, I'm sure you feel the same way. But when we watch the movie again for the first time in our homes, we want it to be in the best quality as possible. So oh, absolutely. That adds to why I'm waiting. Yeah. No compromises there. Yes, um all right well and then also like you said the uh the last jedi novel is out now as well that came out at the beginning of this month i haven't had a chance to read it yet but i've heard very good things about it that are making me want to pick it up um and read that uh, as soon as possible so um i mean i i'm notoriously slow on my star wars reading <laughs> i've got a good half dozen star wars books that i own and haven't gotten around to reading yet um but I I want to get back into those and, and try to uh, start knocking some of those out. Um, I think I might read the Ahsoka novel first just because I still haven't read that one, surprisingly, because, you know, me and Clone Wars content, I eat that stuff up. Um, so I might get into that one first. Plus, I know that's like a young reader novel, so that'll probably go by pretty quick. And then hopefully that'll reinvigorate my appetite for Star Wars books. And then maybe I'll get The Last Jedi and... Uh, get through that so yeah right now i'm just on chapter six but i've been enjoying it this is what i hope for in the star wars novelizations kind of definitely where the force awakens one lacked it just adding more stuff to you know what you already know about the story and the characters i mean the first few chapters there's you know begins totally different than the movie and i won't say what it is kyle just for a spoilers reason but the opening prologue of it it's pretty much, I don't know if you remember those old Star Wars Infinities comics that tell like what if stories about A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Like, So that's pretty much what the first prologue is in The Last Jedi. And it's pretty cool and interesting. I really like it. So it's just definitely adding more stuff to you know what we already know, which which is what I look for in these novels. So right now, still early on, but I'm really happy with it. Yeah, that's good to hear. And I actually have a couple of friends at work, too, who have been telling me about it. So um yeah hopefully get to check that out pretty soon um but moving on from the last jedi uh we've got just a couple new details about the han solo movie 
Um, they released a new international trailer and international poster for that. Um, and the international trailer doesn't really have any new footage in it. It's just kind of a recut of um, the footage we already had from the, uh, you know, the main trailer and the little teaser from the Super Bowl. Um, but gosh, we are getting pretty close to that movie now too. We're what, like two and a half months away? Yeah, pretty much. Wait, is that right? Jeez, this year's flying by already. Yep. Um, yeah, that's kind of scary. But, um, yeah. Oh, oh, and I just realized on this poster it says like 629. I'm like, wait, that's not right. And then I'm like, oh, that's for like, you know, different territories. Um, yeah, obviously for us, that's what, May 25th? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, wh- it didn't how get I- delayed. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yes, it definitely didn't get delayed. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, well, it's, I'm still surprised by that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. We won't have much longer to find out uh, how well this thing turns out. So, heck, we should be getting a new trailer pretty soon, too, within the next month or so, I would imagine. Yeah, probably. Well, especially, I mean, they're putting out a new trailer for uh, Infinity War tomorrow as we're recording this. Yeah. Um, and that's, well, that's coming out end of April now. I was going to say May 4th, but um, yeah, so I would think if you follow that release schedule, which they might not necessarily, but, um, you know, by that token, we should maybe get another solo trailer within a month after that. I would think so. Probably for that release, <laughs> you know, April, what does that come out? April 27th, I believe. Yeah. So oh, well, yeah, we'll definitely, that. if nothing else, we'll definitely get one by the end of April that they can air in front of uh, Infinity War. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, be, you know, on the lookout for uh, any new stuff there. I think they actually just put out some new character posters uh, to like either today or the day before or something like that. Um, so, yeah, we're just, uh, you know, waiting patiently for the adventures of Han and Chewie to continue. Um and then um, as far as other future Star Wars movies go, J.J. Um, Abrams was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert recently and revealed that they have the script complete for Episode Nine, and that uh, they're going to start shooting that in July. Um, so once we get the Han Solo movie, a couple months after that, we can expect to maybe start seeing some leaked set photos and all that good stuff that usually comes along with uh, you know the filming of these Star Wars <laughs> movies. So... Um, man, and that'll be exciting because then we'll be, you know, rolling right along to, uh, man, I can't believe episode nine comes out next year. I know. (laughs) It seems weird to say when episode eight just came out, but, um, yeah, man, just keep this train moving right along. Yeah. It's going to be a fun summer, even though Solo is going to be it for a while with new Star Wars movie until we get episode nine, but the news is still going to keep on coming. But I am a little, or was a little surprised, I guess, that shootings beginning on episode nine um in july which is a little later than usual because force awakens started in late april if i remember right kind of april may so i was kind of expecting it to kind of follow that same time frame but it looks like it's gonna be about a couple of months later so i just found that a little surprising but i don't think it's gonna be anything that affects (laughs) the production a whole lot as they're gonna shoot it and stuff but as usual just great to hear that the script is done coming directly from J.J. Abrams. And I don't know, just every time I watch, I shouldn't say every time I only watch this video once, but I just find it so curious when seeing J.J. talk about it. I mean, after watching The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, like J.J. sitting there knowing how this trilogy ends. Mm. <laughs> like 
he's just one of the few people who knows where Ray and Kylo Ren's going to end up and the state of the galaxy, where things are left. So I just, I always find that fascinating when I hear him talking about like, he's one of the few that knows that and what we wouldn't give to find that out <laughs> to be a part of that, but we'll get it eventually. And like I said, it's just exciting. And, but at the same time, a little hard to believe that we're already on, you know, the pre-production phase for episode nine. And that's going to be the next movie we'll be discussing about a lot on this podcast. You know, the final of this, final film of the sequel trilogy that we couldn't wait to see it. Like I said, it is hard to believe that we're ready at that point. And mm-hmm. um, it's going to be ending pretty soon. So just in a little bit over or a year and a half, pretty much. So like I said, with rebels early on, when we had to enjoy that ride, I think we really got to enjoy this ride. Cause we know there's still new star Wars movies coming, but this potentially could be it for the Skywalker saga film. So, and if that's, if they come out and say that, you know, pretty early on that, this is it for the Skywalker saga man, that's just going to make the lead up to it even more special and, you know, mm-hmm. just amp up the speculation and the excitement for it, knowing this really will be it. Because that's how I felt uh, for during the, you know, lead up to episode three and how Lucas always said that was it and that was going to be the last Star Wars movie ever. But <laughs> even though that's not the case with episode nine, that's still a pretty big deal if they decide this is it for the Skywalker saga. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting year and a half in the lead up to this movie. And like I said, it's got to... Make sure we enjoyed the ride as Star Wars fans. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, yeah, it's crazy that, like you're saying, this trilogy is going to be over already. And it seems like just yesterday we were in pre-production for The Force Awakens and speculating about that. But, um, man, yeah, it's like you said, enjoy the ride for sure. Because Episode Nine, hopefully, is going to be something real special. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if not, you know, just the, the conclusion of a trilogy is also is, is always a big moment. And uh, seeing how that story wraps up. And like you said, it might be the, it very well could be the conclusion of the Skywalker saga. Um, I mean, now that we know that Rey is, as far as we all know, not a Skywalker, Luke is one with the Force. I mean, it all kind of is resting on Kylo Ren now, and it certainly doesn't seem like he's on the path back to redemption. So, um, you know, this might just be their their point to uh close off that part of the story and just start exploring other areas of the universe but um man yeah episode nine next year that is going to be one heck of a wait and one heck of a ride once we finally get there oh yes um so that's pretty much all the movie stuff uh just a couple other small points to hit on here um one thing that was nice to see mark hamill got his uh star on the hollywood walk of fame recently um, Finally. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't watched the whole video of the, uh, you know, his acceptance speech and the unveiling of it and all that, but I've seen some little snippets and clips here and there. Um, and it looked like he just ate it up and had a lot of fun with the, uh, you know, with the audience and the fans and stuff. Um, I liked his tweet where, um, he tweeted out the video of like him unveiling it for the first time. And I guess the first thing he said was just like, Oh, they spelled my name right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you know, sincere thanks from Mark Hamill. And he listed it just like 10 different ways that you see it misspelled all the time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was definitely nice to see him get that recognition and just be able to enjoy that moment and uh, just, you know, kind of relish in it, I guess. Yeah, it was great. I did actually watch the whole ceremony um, last week when it happened. It was just really cool to see him not only get the recognition he deserves as an actor, but you know, seeing George Lucas and Harrison Ford be there. And even though, you know, they're not the most comfortable public speakers, I guess, <laughs> it was so cool to, you know, 
uh, show their love for Mark Hamill and, you know, what he was meant to them as a friend and working with them. That was really cool. And just seeing them all together, it's, it's always special seeing those three. And even Harrison Ford, which is really cool, and acknowledging how, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't feel white or not quite the same, not having the rest of the trio there with, of course, Carrie Fisher not being there. So adding her to be part of the celebration with Mark Hamill, that was a nice touch by Harrison Ford as well. So this is all around really cool. And then Mark Hamill ended his speech the best way possible, saying, may the force be with you, and then going directly into his iconic Joker laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was just awesome. So definitely a long time coming, much deserved to Mark Hamill. It was just really, really great to see. Yeah, for sure. Now I'm going to have to go check out that video now, just hearing you talk about it. Um, Also, something to get excited for, um, this is just a very brief tease, but the uh, Disney Parks account on social media put out a little teaser video of uh, just the progress that they're making on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge um, over at the Disney Parks. And just they kind of did a flyover and just showing the construction of some of the scenery and stuff like that. Um, and man, it is just so cool to see this thing start taking shape, even though it still doesn't really look like a Star Wars environment yet. I mean, you can just see the beginning of, um, just some of the structures and the rock spires and all this kind of stuff. And they put it up against a picture of the concept art right at the end. And you can definitely see where, um, you know, just different parts of that are starting to take shape and, and come into form. So, um, that's really cool to see. And, uh, man, I just can't wait till we get closer and closer to, uh, being able to go and live in our own star Wars fantasy land over there at Disneyland. Yeah. As I said in the tweet, I put out for it in the words of red leader, almost there. <laughs> We're just getting closer to that star Wars galaxy's edge being completed. And, you know, it was looking a lot better than even when I, uh, went to Disneyland last year and they're all the construction stuff. You could peek through, little like the walls they have blocking it off and even when you ride thunder mountain you can see the construction of it going on so it's come a long way since then and by next year it'll look even better so yeah (laughs) it's just gonna be great to experience that in 2019 as we're talking about the lead up to episode nine getting to experience galaxy's edge i think it's gonna be a big part of that Mm -hmm. fun time leading up to the final film in this trilogy so yeah it's gonna be really really cool once it's finished yeah absolutely um all right well We've got all the uh, the housekeeping items out of the way. <laughs> Let's talk about what we're really here for on this episode, and that is the finale of Star Wars Rebels. Um, and you know what? Since we haven't really talked about Rebels at all since it came back from the mid-season finale or the mid-season break or whatever, um, let's just kind of talk about – I mean, we won't go through every episode – but um, just this whole kind of second half of the season leading up to the finale, let's kind of hit on some of the big points. Um, starting with uh, the episodes Jedi Knight and Doom, um, as we had speculated for a long time, this was the end of Kanan Jarrus. And uh, I don't know, Tim, how did you feel about just sort of um, Kanan's role in the story here, uh, the way he went out and uh, just kind of the way they handled the whole thing? Yeah, I thought they handled it beautifully. I mean, the, that was the big thing we were wondering going into these final episodes. As you said, we kind of knew uh, Kanan wasn't going to survive this season. But the big question was, how was, how was he going to go out and how was that going to impact Ezra and the rest of the episodes to follow? And yeah, I thought they did a great job. Uh, just the build up to it was him on the mission to rescue Hera and putting 
Ezra in charge of that mission to rescue her because, you know, he says his mind wasn't as clear as it needed to be because of his feelings for Hera and how he, I just loved how he knew what was going to happen. Like, he, even though he would do what he can to, you know, survive or not, but he just knew this is the direction the force was kind of taking him with how he cut his hair to make himself look like look younger and how when him and Hera first met back in a new dawn, that was a nice touch. And just, you know, the dialogue we had between Hera and Kanan throughout the course of that episode was really well done, you know, bringing home the, the close relationship that we knew was always there and to have it cultivate into a sacrifice was, I just thought handled really, really well. And the big moment where he did sacrifice himself, I wasn't expecting it to be that way, but now I can't imagine them doing it any better than how they did. Kind of figured it would be a, a sacrificing death where he sacrificed himself to help the other team. But, you know, you just can't help but think, especially early on in the series. And for me, you have a Jedi with a lightsaber. It's kind of natural, I guess, to think he would go down in a lightsaber fight or in the combat like he did. But I'm glad this is why Dave Filoni is awesome. He doesn't play on fan expectations that you may put in your head. It's just he knows what's best for these characters. And he showed it here with Kanan's death the way because it was both cool and just very fitting for the character to go all that way. And the way he did where Governor Price was in the walkers and she shot the field tanks and the big explosion happened. The way he just went up and used the force to block that flame and the explosion coming towards them, I thought was awesome. I mean, I don't think we've seen a Jedi do that before on that scale, just using the force to hold back that big explosion. And the way he did it visually, it looked awesome. The way he was using the force and you see the lighting of, of the explosion, you see the little hints of like a blue force field kind of as he's blocking it. This looked awesome. And this, you know, Kanan's the look, the termination on his face and the acceptance that he had, as I said before, he knew this was coming, even though it wasn't the pass he would choose, but he knew this was going to happen and how he was at peace. He knew this was his purpose. And when uh, Hera tried to run out to save him and the way he just calmly used the force to hold back the explosion, but then to, lift her up a little bit with the force and then before he pushed her back it just was all handled beautifully and that final push he did of the ship with Sabine, Ezra and Hera on there and this the music, the expression on Hera's face as she just looks in terror as she's seen you know, you know, the person she loves most sacrifice himself for the team, it was just really really well done so yeah I couldn't be happier with it and yeah, Dave Filoni and the crew, everyone involved, the cast, this, you know, bravo for this big pivotal moment of the series. And I was glad that it happened this early on and not in the final episodes, because that was another thing that uh, I know I did or before the season even began. We got these episode titles was that if Kanan's going to go, it'd probably be in the series finale. But it was a smart move to have it be done a few episodes before that, just so you can see the aftermath and how the characters deal with his death. Because if it mm -hmm. did happen in the finale, we wouldn't get some of the great stuff we've gotten with Hera and Ezra and the rest of the team that we did in the remaining episodes. So just all around, I thought it was handled great. Because this is something that we've speculated on. I know other fans have about Kanan since the series began, where he's probably not going to survive. And now we finally got to that moment. And I didn't... I thought they couldn't have done it any better. So yeah, I was really pleased with it. Yeah. And I would agree. I mean, I think the timing of it was done surprisingly well because I was 
initially surprised that he went out this early. I mean, like you said, I kind of figured it would be like in one of the final couple episodes um, if you're going to kill off like your main character of the show. But the way that the other characters, um, you know, sort of moved on and, uh, you know, sort of honored his legacy and remembered what he meant to them and the way they carried on the fight in his honor sort of um, was a very big story point for the last few episodes. Um as far as the way it was done, you know, him sacrificing his or sacrificing himself for his friends and everything felt fitting. Um, I don't know that I was 100% satisfied with it just after that first episode itself, only because maybe I was a little disappointed that he kind of got, you know, taken out by Governor Price, who, I mean, at least to me, has always kind of felt like a second tier um I guess you could say mm -hmm. villain on the show. Whereas, you know, I, I was hoping he'd at least go out. Like, I mean, my, my fanboy dream was to see Vader come back again to, you know, take out one of the last Jedi, but um, at least wanted to see Kanan in a showdown with like Thrawn or something like that. See, my but, fear early on was that, oh, don't tell me uh, Rook is going to be the one to right? <laughs> be responsible for Kanan's demise. Like, that would be disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, I guess I was maybe slightly disappointed by like, who like the villain who got to take him out but at the same time i mean just him sacrificing himself for his friends the way he did made perfect sense the thing that made it come full circle for me and made me really appreciate it um and gets me to the point now where i'm i'm completely satisfied with the way that they ended his character was um the the follow-up episode doom where you kind of see the aftermath um not just of the heroes kind of struggling with grief and and coming to terms with it but you see the impact of that on the empire kanan didn't just sacrifice yeah. himself to save his friends he sacrificed himself to complete the mission that hera and the rebels were unable to complete um in the the mid-season finale rebel assault um and I almost kind of wish they hadn't put that mid-season break where they did, because now I want to go back and watch, like, just those, kind of those three episodes, like Rebel Assault, um, Jedi Knight, and Doom, all three together. Or, I mean, I'll probably just go back and rewatch the entire season, um, not in one shot, but just, you know, kind of marathon it over a few days or something at some point, because it would be nice to kind of get the entire season as one long kind of story arc. Um, because I think that is definitely um, some important buildup there, and it's like the conclusion of an important story point. It's not just, again, it's not just him saving his friends, but it's him completing that mission that they set out to do in the first place, and essentially, you know, taking a big step towards liberating Lothal from the Empire, um, putting a halt on Thrawn's uh, TIE Defender program. Um, which kind of closes Essentially getting rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. Getting rid of it and closing that loophole as far as like, well, man, these tie fighters are freaking awesome. How can they, how come the empire never used those in the original trilogy? And it's like, well, because they were building them on Lothal and Kanan helped blow up Lothal's fuel reserves and they just never went into production. Um, I and, liked how too, uh, that little scene we had with, uh, Tarkin and how Thrawn and Krennic were kind of in competition as far mm -hmm. as like, which of their program was going to be the main focus of the empire. And now we know why would help turn all the, the focus to the Death star. So I thought was a cool touch also. Yeah, definitely. It was cool to see that little uh, connection being made there. And even though we never saw Krennic in the flesh in rebels, um, his presence was definitely felt as far as knowing what the empire was up to in other areas. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, just the the whole way that that was handled. So like I said, kind of that double punch of um, Kanan saving himself, but also really dealing a huge blow to the Empire with his death and seeing how furious, um, you know, Thrawn was with Governor Price over that in the next episode. Because Thrawn had gone off to meet with the Emperor um, to basically pitch this TIE Defender program to him. Um and, you know, left Governor Price to run things in his stead, and she screwed up royally. Um, but don't worry, we'll have a parade. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, they basically threw a parade to celebrate Kanan's death and try to cover up the fact that she had just blown up all their fuel. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I thought that was all just done really well. And the, the whole way that episode played out, um, with, like you said, you know, Kanan kind of cutting his hair and, and going back to, um, trying to look the way he did when he first met Hera. And I mean, it's such a kind of beautiful connection between those characters. Um, and it was, it's funny to look back now on the series. And I mean, I wouldn't consider myself one of the people that, you know, was like shipping Kanan and Hera and like wanting to see them get together. It was more like, I just wanted answers as far as like, are they together or are they not? Cause they kind of would like drop subtle hints, but then never really answer it. And especially because it was like heavily hinted at in the, a new Dawn novel that Kanan like was mad crushing on her. And Hera was kind of like ignoring him at first and finally kind of starts warming up to him a little bit at the end. And it's like, that takes place five years before the series. So you're like, okay, so like they're, they're together now right or are they i don't know can we get some answers on this but now i'm like well i'm so glad they waited to fully like flesh that out until the last season um because i think it's so much more impactful to have that like it's impactful and also you know tragic but i think it really just worked well for the story to have that finally come to fruition right before kanan dies um and, you know, of course, it's, you see that a lot in, like, movies and TV and stuff where, um, you know, you build up to the happy moment and then pull the rug out from underneath right afterwards and, you know, one of them gets taken away. Um, but, I mean, just the whole, that culmination of that story arc between their two characters I thought was done beautifully, um, especially put in context of some later revelations that we get in the finale. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I guess the I last thing... I'll say on Kanan's death, this how the ep- the next episode Doom immediately started. Just seeing the reaction of every one of the Ghost crew, I just thought was so so beautifully done. Mm-hmm. I mean, starting off with Sabine just coming out of the ship and throwing the Tie Fighter helmet and just so upset, not even acknowledging Zeb's question. And then when Ezra comes to tell Zeb that Kanan's gone, and Zeb's oh he's captured by the Empire, and it's no he's really gone. Just breaks down and then this the hug that Zeb gives Ezra. But then the biggest moment that makes that pulls on the heartstrings is Chopper having his greatest moment in the series ever, just mm-hmm. going up to Hera, putting out his little hand and just holding her hands. Like, oh man, <laughs> Dave Filoni, boy, you know how to <laughs> get those emotions going. So yeah, it's a great sequence of seeing the gross crew lose a member of their family and how they dealt with it, which is so beautifully done. And this felt so natural too, for all the characters. So that was another great moment too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was going to mention that too. Um, specifically just that chopper moment. Like you said, I, I would completely agree. That was chopper's greatest moment of the entire series. Um, and not that I didn't like chopper, but I mean, he's not my favorite droid. Like I'll take R2D2 or BB eight over chopper, like any day of the week. But this was the moment that made me go, oh, man, 
Chopper, I love you too. Like yeah. that, that <laughs> you have earned your place. Um, unlike uh, whatever happened to AP five, is he still floating out in space yeah. singing? <laughs> and I guess he got a singing career on a, another planet or something. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, that was that was just really well done. And like you said, just seeing everybody's reactions afterwards, and um, I mean, it just felt so so real and natural and um just the way that they all kind of underwent their own character arcs of like sort of growing and overcoming that and it's like okay well this sucks like we're we're sad or angry or whatever but like we got to do something about it um and they all dealt with it in different ways you know kanan or not kanan ezra went off in search of i forget exactly what he did next but he was doing the thing with the loath wolves right Mm, yeah yeah and um then Sabine and Zeb were like, shoot, we're mad. Let's go blow up some Imperial stuff. And uh, Hera needed, you know, some time just to herself to kind of process things, you know, emotionally. And so, um, yeah, I think that really uh, just gave each of their characters some, you know, some good moments to shine. Um, And then that all started leading into, um, you know, some, the rest of the events leading up to the finale um so should we jump right to the uh the next pair of episodes the wolves in a door in a world between worlds because i know you're chomping at the bit to talk about this oh yes (laughs) and i am too i mean there's so much good for stuff can i just say right off the bat i think loaf wolves might be the coolest creatures in all of star wars i can't argue with that they're pretty up there like they they might really have to think about it but they might be the best. <laughs> like, I mean, they're not as obviously iconic as, you know, like a Wampa or a Rancor or something like that. But in terms of like their importance to the lore and just the the mythology and the the intrigue behind it. I mean, every time one of these things shows up on screen and just the the voices of them and the um you know, the music that plays and the way that they're just sort of tied into the planet and the mythology of the force and the Jedi and the fact that they can freaking like run through hyperspace. It's like, (laughs) they're just, they're so cool and mysterious and uh, like good job on that one. Dave Filoni, of course, leave it to Dave to, you know, bring wolves into it and, um, you know, just make them, you know, knock them out of the park because we know how big of a wolf lover Dave Filoni is. Um, by the way, speaking of which, just while we're on the subject of loath wolves, I got to jump ahead to the finale here just for a brief second. Um, when Wolf and Gregor come back oh, to join the Rex <laughs> and you got the old clones fighting together and Gregor has that moment where uh, the wolves come out and they're fighting the Imperials and Gregor's like, hey, Wolf, you got your wolf pack back. And I was like, oh, the Clone Wars feels. Yeah, that, that was one of my favorite moments of the finale. Yeah, that was awesome. And this is how Wolf goes. Yeah, they even fight like the old boys too. Yeah. <laughs> it was just perfect. I mean, I, I was hoping they'd acknowledge that because it just, it's, too good not to we got commander wolf seeing a bunch of wolves attack it was perfect i loved that moment it was so so good yeah um so anyway back to the wolves in a door though and the world between worlds um tim why don't you just take it away and i'll i'll chime in with my thoughts as you go here but um man we just uh these these episodes were so cool wow (laughs) this 
is a big reason why I love Star Wars. These two episodes, mainly a world between worlds, but because uh, that's mainly what I want to focus on. But just before I get to that, and Wolves in a Door, this scene, I guess to refer to now as the Mortis Gods, uh, that's the new terminology, at least that the Empire is using <laughs> for them. Just the idea that uh, not only to see that their paintings of them on the entrance to the Jedi Temple, but the mystery that he had to unlock to get that entrance open. And just the fact that, according to, I'm blanking on his name right now, but the, the Imperial, uh, who was with Sabine, who was like being the lead archaeologist, for lack of a better word, trying to get all this knowledge. At first, I thought the way his costume was designed, I thought he was the character in Rogue One who wakes Vader up from his back to tank. Oh, yeah. They kind of had similar designs. He was an older guy, so I thought, oh, and if he's with Vader, maybe he's someone that deals with the Force. But it wasn't the same character. I think they acknowledged that it it wasn't. But uh, maybe he was someone who's part of that same, you know, class or whatever in the Empire uh, that deals with the Force and looking for knowledge and that. But I just liked how we brought out how the Mortis gods were not, you know, they were kind of there was data on them. They were known to, amongst the Jedi where. Originally, I just kind of took it where Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka were the only, obviously one of the few, maybe if at all, to confront them, but the only ones who knew of their existence. But it seems that in the Jedi Temple, there were, you know, records or stories that they had of the father, son, and the daughter. So I just liked how there's more of a history to go with them. And I think it would be awesome to fully learn that history. But the fact that it is not, it is wide, more widely known than originally thought, at least for me, maybe other fans... Uh, kind of thought that way where the Jedi would be aware of that, but even though not necessarily encountering them, but know of their history. But for me, this is kind of the first time I took it where, you know, Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka weren't the only ones to know about the Mortis gods, but it has been passed down, I guess, through uh, the different generations of the Jedi. So I thought that was cool, and just how they were brought in to be the entry point to that temple of Lothal is just really cool. It just widens of the possibilities of what stories they can tell with them, which uh, I would always be down for. <laughs> more, yeah. more more, the stories, the better, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, the way I sort of took that as far as the Jedi knowing about them and stuff, I mean, first of all, we know this is like a completely separate Jedi temple on a completely, completely different planet. So, I mean, maybe the whatever Jedi had built this enclave or whatever on Lothal maybe had certain knowledge that like the main Jedi on Coruscant didn't have or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like this could have been some ancient knowledge that had been lost over time or something like that. Um, but also, I mean, maybe Anakin, Obi Wan, and Ahsoka were the only ones to ever encounter these guys like in the realm of Mortis. But if you remember, like sort of the backstory where the father talks about how they were basically really powerful force users um, in the actual universe. And, you know, the it's like the, the son and the daughter became so powerful that he was like, okay, to keep the balance and keep everything safe from their power, we need to retreat to this, you know, secluded place. Um, so maybe the Jedi had encounters with them before that, and that's where these murals and stuff came from, is they just knew of these like super powerful beings or force gods or whatever um and had you know learned about them or studied them or you know made these depictions of them before they had retreated to you know whatever ethereal realm they're in in mortis yeah i mean 
that, that all makes sense. And again, I just love how it just widens the possibility of their history and the knowledge that could be spread out across the galaxy pertaining to Mortis and the father or the son of the daughter. Because as we get into more in a world between world in that realm, I find it hard to believe that the temple on Lothal is the only way to get in there. I think it's something that, you know, it's obviously hard to do and to unlock the entrance to it. But I personally think there could be other ancient Jedi temples that would allow access there that has to tie in with Mortis as well. Because I personally think that what if Octo is in one of those planets that has, you know, an entryway to that realm in the world between worlds hmm. and deals with the Mortis, has a Mortis connection as well. Because as you said, they were beings living just in in the galaxy until the father, like you said, uh, made them become recluse in that in the Mortis realm. So maybe they did travel to different planets and interacted with like the earliest Jedis and force users and that built these temples and had these entrances there. So that's just another cool possibility I'm taking for it that I'm glad they're expanding more with these Mortis characters where these the entryway on a Lothal is probably gone for good, but I think there's other ways to get in there if people knew about it. Maybe some are well hidden more than others, but I just think that the Mortis has now grown into something bigger uh, than previously before since we had these episodes. That's just had me super, super excited with the mm-hmm. possibilities. Even if we don't get the answers to that, or if it's years down the line, just, you know, as we like to do as fans, speculating and thinking about the history of Star Wars and certain characters in the Force. It's just fun to think about the possibilities, especially for me and you, I know, who love and just eat up all the stuff with the Force and any new information that we get. So it just, that just makes it fun as fans to speculate the different possibilities now with these characters because we love those Mortis episodes and how excited we were to see their connections again in Rebels. And I thought another great job that Dave Filoni did with using them for the story here, but at the same time, I think expanding it more into other possibilities that we just don't know about yet so that's what has me excited about it as well yeah definitely and how cool was i mean just the look of like this mural and this kind of 2d painting on yes. the surface of this temple and just, awesome. just the way that the characters moved and you had the mm-hmm. wolves running around them and all this kind of stuff i mean it had a very i don't even know what the word is i'm looking forward to describe it but just added so much of sort of like a, a mythical kind of ancient mysterious feel to it yeah um that i think really complemented the story really well totally agree i love that it was just so cool and the way the wolves ran off from the father son of the daughter to lead ezra to the entrance of the world between worlds and the way they just started spinning around and the entrance way to it i don't know if you thought about it because there was a lot of lord of the rings <laughs> no we'll get to oh, later yeah. but I loved how the entryway is kind of like the symbols to the Mines of Moria that the Fellowship of the Ring goes into. It had that feel to me, which was pretty cool. I just loved how that looked. And I didn't realize it till you know, I seen it online and on Twitter how, no, those, I forget if it was for last year's celebration or for another one, but I remember Dave Filoni had those cards he was giving of drawings of Ahsoka, kind of giving hints to where she's at. Mm-hmm. One of those cards had the symbols of the wolves drawn in that circle i mean little did we know back then oh <laughs> i don't remember that yeah what they would represent but dave filoni had it all figured out from the get-go yeah <laughs> boy did it deliver so i thought that was another cool thing before we fully jump into a world between worlds just the feel of 
the empire, you know, trying to get this information and entryway into the temple. It had a very Indiana Jones vibe to it with Raiders of the Lost Ark and even a little bit of the Last Crusade. It's just it was just really cool to have that little, you know, Indiana Jones flavor in there, you know, with the Nazis always looking for supernatural powers and, you know, with the Empire doing the same thing with of course Palpatine ruling over it, he craving for this type of knowledge. And it was also cool too to finally get why Lo- the answer why Lothal was so important to Palpatine. I mean, it was hinted at as early back as season two, as the I forget her name, but the one who tried to get off Lothal in the season two premiere with Vader, but then she ends up uh, getting killed in that explosion. How she was saying there's something bigger going on with Lothal than you know <laughs> than anyone realizes, and this is it right here. And it was oh, pretty yeah. darn big. <laughs> Gosh, I totally forgot who that was. Because she yeah, like def- it was some imperial and she defected to the rebels, right? Yeah, uh-huh. she and was gonna, she- they were going to smuggle her off, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh, I can't remember who that is now. I need to go back and rewatch some early rebels. But, I just kind of want to um, watch the whole series now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but- <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, no, it was really cool to see. I mean, you're spot on there with like the the Indiana Jones kind of feel that they had going on, and I totally got that vibe of like the Lord of the Rings trying to enter the minds of Moria where you've just got, you know, these ancient symbols and stuff on this, you know, big flat stone surface with, uh, you know, a hidden doorway somewhere. Um, but man, yeah, I just love whenever you've got like 2d, you know, like ancient paintings involved in a story that, um, revolves around like hidden treasure or an ancient doorway or some ancient mythology or something. And then the paintings just start moving and like telling a story or just, mm-hmm. um, you know, it starts doing something. It always adds this really cool element of mysticism to it that I just love. No, oh, yeah, I totally agree. It just it looked amazing. And yeah, as we're just walking into that, you know, blank you know, entryway pretty much. I mean, just solid rock, but he's able to go through. And then, of course, the stormtroopers just <laughs> try to get in and they just knock themselves out, which was, of course, typical stormtroopers. But typical stormtroopers. Yeah. But, man, once. Okay, let's get into a world between worlds now. <laughs> once that episode began, as before Ezra even walks into that realm. I'm already geeking out because of the voiceovers that we're hearing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, man. Hearing Yoda, I believe the first clip we get is him from Attack of the Clones saying, you know, truly wonderful the mind of a child is. Then we start hearing Obi-Wan from the Twin Sons episodes. And then Ezra just pops in. It, but that doesn't stop there. We just keep getting those voiceovers. And I was losing my mind. <laughs> I was just geeking out over this stuff. I just think it's so, so cool that Dave Filoni and the Rebels crew is just using the actual audio clips from the movies and hearing Alec Guinness say the classic explanation he's given to Luke about the Force, an energy field that's created by all living things. Mm-hmm. Just hearing that in amongst the Star Wars animation just makes it feel so complete and how connected everything is whether it's animation or live action it is so so cool and man the voices we heard i was just i was not expecting that but i loved it so much i mean not only just obi-wan but hearing uh chirrut saying i am one with the force and the force is with me hearing Jin, but then once we heard kylo ren mm-hmm. saying 
I mean, not only just hearing Kylo Ren was awesome, but the clip they decided to use of him talking to the helmet of Darth Vader uh, gave me chills hearing that. Just the generations of Skywalkers <laughs> that is going to come down the line. This, the events that are so far away, but yet it's all connecting in this one place that Ezra in it, that Ezra was in was just so, so awesome. I just loved it so much. The only, I guess the only thing that I was a little disappointed with once I started hearing these voices was I was waiting to hear something from Luke. <laughs> I think it would have been awesome if we got a line of dialogue from The Last Jedi, but maybe production mm-hmm. time point is what you know, played a factor of not having that. But even something from Empire or Return of the Jedi I thought would have been cool. Just have a little something for Luke. So being nitpicky here, but I just couldn't help as I'm hearing all these different characters that are related to the Force. I was just hoping, you know, Luke would be one of them, but it wasn't. But still, didn't lose the effect of how amazing this sequence was of just hearing these voices of iconic classic characters that we've known for years. And then for new iconic characters like Kylo Ren and Rey that we were just introduced to a few years ago. But yet it has that same feeling as, you know, the classic trilogy characters and from the prequels that you just get excited hearing about it and hearing their voices. And because it's all Star Wars that's what I that's what I love about it so much. As much as fans like to debate about, you know, what series is their favorite, original trilogy fans who don't like the prequels, or even now prequel fans who are excited about the sequel trilogy, all the, you know, disappointments and complaints about The Last Jedi, it's still all Star Wars. And when it comes together in this one place like this, this is what really makes it special to me and why I love it so much, the history that is involved with Star Wars with these characters that we love and that we grew up with watching and that we're seeing these new characters and their journeys continue. It's all one big epic story. And the idea that it's all encompassed in this one place, central place here in this episode, it just blew me away. I just love it so much. So yeah, I mean, we haven't even gotten to one of the big moments of this episode yet, but already I was just saying, this is one of the best things in star Wars ever. And it was just by hearing voices in this awesome sequence. So yeah, couldn't, couldn't be more excited and happy that I was seeing this as a Star Wars fan when it first aired. I loved it so much. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Like, I was on the edge of my seat just from the opening moments of this episode when you start hearing those voices. And it had one of those feelings of, like, this is one of those episodes where anything can happen. Um, And we knew that this was going to open up some big possibilities with the Force. We had seen some you know, weird stuff hinted at, like in the the trailer for the second half of the season and stuff. But, and of course we were all expecting this was going to be the episode where we maybe find out what happens to Ahsoka. Um, But it was just, just hearing all those voices um, from all over Star Wars coming together and the anticipation of like, okay, what's going on in here? What, what lies ahead? You know, what's going to happen um what are the possibilities and the new mysteries of the force that are opening up right here um just grabbed my attention from the get-go um and it was just you know so cool to see and like you said just hearing all those different characters together in the same place was just something really special and i mean dave even talked about that in the the rebels recon for the episode how he wanted to create like a just sort of a nexus almost where he could bring all the areas of star wars together like at one sort of focal point of time and space um and that was one thing that was was crazy to see here and we'll talk about this you know kind of as we go but 
the idea of the force not just being this energy field that sort of exists in the present, but the fact that the force connects everything across space and time like it's you know even more sort of far reaching than we thought um mm. and to have the and obviously you know like jedi can't just you know use the force to like time travel or whatever but to know that there are these areas like this where um you just have like a powerful concentration of force energy that just touches everything everywhere that ever existed is just crazy and opens up some crazy new story possibilities um and so obviously to get into that you know ezra starts going through here you know hearing all these voices and then he sees the the convor um i think it's convor right because the i yeah, remember talking I, about this before like the plural is convories but just yeah. one of them is a convor and it's yeah, the, I spelled uh, it out not too long ago it's, i always called them convory even if it was just one but you're right it's, it's just convor for the single yeah and so he sees that green one that he says you know used to always pop up whenever ahsoka was around um and it's just sitting above a doorway in this place and it's just this you know it's this vast emptiness of just stars i mean it looks like you could be walking in space almost but then it's just got these you know walkways and these doors that are very minimalistic stylistically it's all just white lines crisscrossing in space um which gives it you know again just this really cool look and it's just sort of you know beautiful and mysterious in its simplicity um but then you've got the bird sitting over one of these doorways and ezra looks through it and sees the fight between Ahsoka and Vader and oh, just right. I thought this episode couldn't get any better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, it was cool just to go back to that moment. Like again, like I, I was expecting to see Ahsoka again and maybe get some resolution to that storyline, yeah. but I was not expecting to see, to just go right back into that moment and see that duel between Vader. her and Vader. Um, and you see just kind of the tail end of it, that we saw back in season two, which by the way, I, I really want to go back and watch that episode again now because man, that I, I'm sorry. I'll just say it now. Rebels never quite reached that height again. Um, Twilight of the Apprentice is that was right up there for me with some of the best episodes of Clone Wars. And I love Rebels. I'm not trying to knock on it or whatever. Just Clone Wars is still better in my book, but Twilight of the Apprentice was, is, is Clone Wars level. Um, that was just uh and uh just the emotional weight of that scene and the the just the drama and the action and the visuals and it's Anakin Skywalker fighting his former apprentice and so to be thrust back into that moment unexpectedly was just a thrill um and then to get to see the way that it plays out like after yes after the rebels escaped and the pyramids closing and then Vader and Ahsoka just keep fighting. And it's like, Oh my gosh, we're actually going to get to see what happened. Um, and basically it's like the, you know, the energy source or whatever starts exploding. Ahsoka is going to like stab into the ground, I guess so that she and Vader will both like fall through the floor or something. Um, and Vader's about to take a swing at her and Ezra realizing that he can reach through this doorway like reaches through and grabs ahsoka and pulls her back through right as vader's about to kill her and then vader falls through the floor and the temple explodes and it's all very kind of quick and like oh my gosh what just happened um yeah. <laughs> and then you realize ezra actually you know again like 
reached out through this portal, through the Force, and altered past events, like, through time and space, and pulled Ahsoka back through. Um, and it was just like, holy crap, what just happened? Because, the <laughs> again, the implications of this are wild. And I... I have slightly mixed, but mostly very positive feelings about this that I'll kind of unravel as we go here. Um, but it was definitely, it was, it was absolutely insane, um, but in a good way and was, was really cool to see. I mean, I, in general, like I like the concept of time travel to a degree in sci-fi shows. I mean, I was really into Doctor Who for a while and, you know, I think time travel has its place. I'm glad it's not in Star Wars. Like it's it's so the the mythology and the characters are so sort of ingrained in the culture. Like I don't want to introduce some sort of time travel element where you can just go create alternate universes and and rewrite stuff and change histories and stuff like that. Um and Star Wars has always been kind of more space fantasy than like hardcore science fiction anyways and so um, I feel like time travel is is almost kind of too sciency for Star Wars. Um, so I thought, like, if anything, if you're ever going to try to introduce like any sort of time travel slash, you know, space time manipulation, altering of past events kind of thing to Star Wars, like this is the way to do it through mm -hmm. you know this powerful Force Temple thing that then gets buried at the end of the episode and we're assuming like no one's ever going to be able to use this thing again. Um, and almost impossible to get into by any normal person. Yeah, <laughs> even exactly. Users, so. Yeah, because immediately, I mean, this could open up just a, a huge can of worms that we don't get want to get into about, you know, well, why can't somebody go and, you know, save Luke or save Han or, you know, whatever. Um it's like, let's not go there. Please, let's not go there. Like, yeah. I trust Dave Filoni with this, but I am slightly worried that somebody in the future is going to take this idea and run with it in a direction that I don't want them to go. Um, that's really my only negative feeling on this. Um, but other than that, I mean, the way that it was handled in the episode, I thought was done really well. Um, and a heck of a way to bring back Ahsoka as a fan favorite character. I mean, I guess my, my yeah. one other maybe slight criticism would be that it kind of felt, I mean, in a, in a way, it almost felt like just this big plot device for bringing Ahsoka back because it's like you construct this huge, what should be, you know, game-changing sort of new aspect of the Force where you can actually use it to manipulate time and space and then Ezra does it once to save one fan-favorite character and then they bury it and they're never going to use it again. And so it's like, really, we went through all that just to save Ahsoka when this could have had, like, such bigger implications. But at the same time, like I said, one, I don't really want to have bigger implications. I don't want this to be, like, a widely used thing in Star Wars. Second of all, these are the confines that you have to work with when you're doing an animated series that is just sort of a supplement to the movies i mean you can't have the well i guess aside from bringing darth maul back in clone wars like you can't really do big stuff like this in the animated series and have it affect the movies you know what i mean like you can't suddenly mm -hmm. make this a thing in animation and be like well wait okay then why aren't they using this in the movies like you have to give an explanation for like why it's a you know basically make it a one and done thing um and so i think they've basically did the 
biggest and most impactful thing he could with it, um, given what he had to work with. And so, you know, that's just one of those things that I, I don't know, felt a little iffy to me. But again, I can definitely appreciate like that, you know, bringing Ahsoka back is a big thing. And that's, you know, there's only so much you can do with it working within the realm of animation. Um, and, you know, these these stories and characters that are kind of supplemental to um, to the main movies that a lot of general audiences are never going to see. But, um, I mean, that said, like I said, it, it just, it was crazy and unexpected and just a really cool and new, interesting way to go. And I think my biggest question after this is, did Vader see that happen? Um, <laughs> and I don't think... <laughs> think so because the, i mean I, I again i think the way they were trying to make it play out is that he swings his lightsaber at ahsoka right at the same time that ezra pulls her back through and also at the same time the temple starts exploding and there's this sort of this flash of light and so it's like even if he had killed her i don't know that he would have actually seen his lightsaber strike where she was um it's like he he swung at where he saw her last and then just kind of got blinded by this flash and just assumes that either he killed her or she died in the explosion or something when really Ezra pulled her back through. And so maybe he didn't actually see that happen. I think that's the best way to rationalize it without trying to wrap our heads around did Darth Vader actually know that time travel was possible? Um, yeah. But anyway, I, mean, I, I think I've had my say on this for now. Tim, what did you think? <laughs> yeah, boy. Jeez, this is man, talk about the perfect spot for a commercial break once Ezra <laughs> pulls Ahsoka out of there. You're just like, what? <laughs> like, There's a good thing we had to like at least in my case forward on the DVR just to pick my mouth back up from the floor after being amazed at what just happened and shocked. But before I get into the whole aspects of what this means for Star Wars and the Force. Just the fact that we got more of that Vader or Ahsoka fight and the, what happened afterwards and just seeing more of the fight with Vader with his helmet cracked and just seeing Anakin's face, that was just awesome in itself because, I mean, talk about an awesome visual from Twilight of the Apprentice and we got more of that when they're actually fighting. That was just awesome to see. I was just really geeking out about that too. So just seeing that more of the fight and the outcome of that was just amazing. But And again, even that little bit of how it all... You know, the pieces are fitting together of what we were teased at at the end of Twilight of the Apprentice of that duel. First, right here, we get the moment why Vader is so, you know, limping out of that temple. This is really beat up, even more so than just getting slashed in the face by Ahsoka's lightsaber that we did see in Twilight of the Apprentice. But he looked more beat up than that. And now we know why, because he fell through the ground <laughs> through that. So awesome stuff there. But yeah, the big implications of, you know, Ezra pulling Ahsoka out. From that time into you know the world between worlds is at the same time we're just wondering wow what's happening how like, what does this mean how is this going to wrap up and i for me anyway i think they'd handle it in a really great way because as you said time travel i think I'm, i wouldn't say i'm totally against it in star wars but you got to do it just right and i think this is the closest as we're going to get to that in Star Wars, and I'm totally okay with that, it's because it's mainly through the Force. Like I said, it's not some anyone can have access to, not even Force users. So it's just extremely difficult to get in this realm to able to do what Ezra did here. So I'm pretty much okay with that. But I just love, again, 
how it expands the force and what we think we used to know about it and how even bigger it's getting through Clone Wars and now through like Clone Wars through Mortis and the Yoda arc, the force was expanded in some truly awesome ways. And I love it when that happens. And now we got it probably in the biggest way ever, I think, in this Rebels episode here. And here's another thing. As I was watching the episode, I've heard different opinions on. I'm curious to what you think about this, Kyle, as far as Ezra pulling Ahsoka out. I'm in the mind frame that he didn't actually mess with history or time. I think Ahsoka was always meant to be saved by Ezra. Like, like it's not where Vader did kill her, but in this moment, Ezra stopped that from happening. I don't think there's a like a time paradox or a different timeline where Vader kills Ahsoka. I just think Ezra was always meant to rescue rescue her here. That was the point of the convoy, kind of being his guide to make sure he does what he's supposed to do and how you know the convoy was just kind of uh, urging him to you know like jumping a little bit like the you got to do what you got to do get her out of there mm-hmm. to the point where it was one of those things where the force was guiding this moment to happen not where Ezra changed anything but the force used him in this moment to save Ahsoka because she was meant to be saved this was her fate she was never meant to be killed by Darth Vader so I don't necessarily think it's Ezra messing with time it was just that he was using this aspect of affecting time to save Ezra as he was always meant to did you get that vibe, or did you have it the other way? Well, uh, boy, here we go. This is where time <laughs> travel starts making my head hurt. Um, well, I will say this: I'm I'm kind of more in line with what you're thinking, like that this is sort of how it always went, because it's not like we ever saw Vader kill Ahsoka. We mm-hmm. just saw Vader limping away from that fight and assumed that Ahsoka must be dead, except then you saw that brief glimpse of her like walking further down into the temple. And it's like, well, wait, was she still alive? Or was that, you know, just like a symbolic kind of thing? Like what was going on there? Um, But it's like, yeah, I, I definitely don't think that like Ahsoka has been dead for two years. And then Ezra went back in time and changed that. Yeah. Um, I do think, that oh gosh this is uh like the the question is so if uh, gosh like i said time time travel just <laughs> yeah because uh, it's a big I'm ball thinking... of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff <laughs> um because as i'm taking it now if i if you're watching twilight of the apprentice again once we see you know kezra and ain't or kezra, <laughs> kezra <laughs> and kanan off flying in the ship after they escaped the temple, Ezra is pulling Ahsoka out at that moment <laughs> right, right there, just later down the line, but it's happening all in that moment. Right, but he's doing it two years in the future. But, I mean, you're <laughs> right, especially and especially because, see, I think it, they're able to pull it off because it was such an isolated thing. Like, everybody else escaped, the temple closed, and it was just Vader and Ahsoka. And so the only person who could possibly know about this is Vader. And like I said, with the way that they pulled it off, like, I don't think Vader even realizes what happened. Um, That one I'm not too sure on. I mean, I think you could be right, but I actually think it'd be kind of cool if Vader doesn't know exactly what happened, but knows something's off, (laughs) where something strange happened there. Yeah, but uh, see, to me, though, like, why would... uh, why then would he be so obsessed in the original trilogy with, you know, Luke and the Rebels when it's like, yo, my time traveling apprentice is still out there somewhere? 
Well, that's um, the thing where like he doesn't know it's time travel or someone saved her. Like just that something happened. Right. Saw something strange. He doesn't know what, but it's like something wasn't right. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like for me, it's easier to wrap my head around the idea that Vader just doesn't realize what happened. I can um, understand. That, and it's yeah. probably easier for him to just assume that Ahsoka died. Um, but we'll see. Maybe they'll they'll tackle that in another Vader comic at some point. That would be cool. Um, yeah, that that's why I love this idea that's been introduced into the Star Wars universe now. I mean, like I said, even if no one gets into that realm again, the fact that it's possible, I just love. And like I said, expanding the Force and what it means in the, in the galaxy. Like we just even hearing Vader, like you mentioned, if we get a comic star of him talking about you know, something strange going on or what he saw on Malachor, but not necessarily knowing what it is, but us as the readers will, we'll know what he's referring to. It just adds so much new layers to what they can do now. Even, mm-hmm. like I said, even if they don't, no one ever goes in there again. And that's what I love so much. And I got to vent a little bit here because I shouldn't be surprised, but <laughs> I just got some backlash amongst some Star Wars fans about how, you know, it's changes things with the Force. But, I mean bring it on for me because this is what I want in new Star Wars storytelling when we get the announcement of new Star Wars movies and with Rebels and whatever the medium is for getting new Star Wars stories expanding the force is the stuff I get that gets me most excited because I just don't understand like this type of thinking that some fans might have where they just like the idea of the force just being in this really small contained box that they know from the original trilogy I mean, what's the fun of getting these these new stories if we don't expand on that, open the possibilities of what the Force means, not necessarily doing anything that, you know, goes against what's already been established. It's expanding on it more because all the stuff, the new stuff that's happening that we could talk about, that we are talking about, we can trace back to, like, stuff that Yoda and Obi-Wan has said over the course of, even in the original trilogy, but it's just expanding on some of those uh, notions even more so. And that's what I love about it. It just brings the this makes it bigger and this see it makes it bigger but at the same time creates a bigger mystery with it too within the force and what it all means so it's just so fascinating to think about that's what's fun once we get these new stories and get these new ideas introduced and just what it all means and how we can think about these different possibilities like we're talking about with vader did other beings like early on in the jedi history know about this stuff it's just really really fun to think about and i love that and uh i this is another thing, too, and I don't mean this as, like, I don't want this to be, like, a knock against The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi or J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson. It's, but this is the type of stuff I was, with the, regards to The Force, anyway, was I was kind of hoping for in the sequel trilogy because, you know, just with the title, The Force Awakens, I got me excited. Oh, we might be getting some new uh, information about The Force or new ideas regarding it. And then with The Last Jedi... They hinted at it even in the marketing and some of the descriptions of how we'll learn new secrets of the Force that you know will change the galaxy forever. While there are certain moments that happened with that, we got new Force powers. There was nothing quite on this scale that I think changes the game with the Force. And I just think you can tell the difference between you know Dave Filoni and J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson that someone who's been with Lucas and those who haven't in Ryan Johnson and JJ's case, you could just tell the difference with this type of storytelling here with the force. And again, I don't want it to mean as a knock on them. It's not their fault. They never work with Lucas, but at the same time, this level of game changing stuff with the force is what I was hoping to see in the movies. And it's kind of what we were talking about early on about how, you know, 
of this type of stuff, you know, might go over the heads of general audiences and that's why they don't do it in the films. But at the same time, I just can't imagine like how epic and much on a grander scale, this type of stuff could be in a live action film. So I hope we get to that point in, in one of these films coming up. Cause I think it'd be awesome to see even live action. But again, this is the way the story was told and how we got this new expansion with the force in this episode it just screams george lucas to me and you know we know why because dave filoni has been with george for so long and he's taking everything he's learned from him and putting it in stories like this that are really big game changers for the force and you could you could just tell that's what i love about it so yeah i was couldn't be happier with both you know the effects of hearing voices and characters from the star wars galaxy all together in one place and then introducing this new aspect of the force with affecting history and doing the star wars i guess time travel version of it but at the same time it all fit beautifully in my opinion and it just gets me excited about how the force and what we know about it is growing with each new star wars i shouldn't say with each new one but as we're in this new era of getting new star wars stories the fact that it's growing is making me very very happy yeah definitely um, and I'm right there with you. I mean, I love this kind of stuff that expands on the use of the force and, um, you know, just takes risks and goes in new areas and stuff like that. Um, and man, just, I mean, to keep even just keep going with the story here. One thing that I actually did really like in regards to just sort of the my sort of hesitancy about the use of the, the time travel and all that kind of stuff. It's like right after um Ezra rescues Ahsoka then they keep going and the next door they find opens up to the moment that Kanan sacrificed himself and Ezra's like oh great let me jump in here and save Kanan too and Ahsoka's like no you can't do that um and basically explains to him like Kanan sacrificed himself and it wasn't just like him being nice and like oh I'll stay here you guys go on ahead like no, he literally was like holding back the flames that would have destroyed him and all his friends if he weren't there. And it's like if Ezra pulls him through the door, those tanks are going to explode and Ezra and Sabine and uh, Hera are all going to get wiped out. And she's like, if you say if you pull Kanan through that door, you're going to die in the past and like not even be here. Um and, you know, just sort of puts the whole thing in perspective for him. And Ezra obviously has to learn a hard lesson about um, accepting Kanan's death and not being able to change everything. But I think also just from a standpoint of, like, sort of responsible time travel use, if you want to call it. It's like, yeah, let's not start creating paradoxes and yeah. <laughs> you know, changing past events too much and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was almost kind of a cautionary tale for the audience as much as it was for Ezra. Um but also a really sweet, you know, sort of emotional moment where he really has to kind of um, accept Kanan's death and, you know, sort of come to terms with that um, and just sort of put it behind him and move on and not try to change it. And I also like, too, the conversation Ahsoka and Ezra had before that, where they were talking about the lost wolf named Doom and how that's not a coincidence that he showed up right after Kanan's death. And then Ahsoka was kind of explaining about, you know, the living force becoming the cosmic force. And how, you know, Kanan's will could, you know, still move through the cosmic force into another, through the living force into another being, such as that Loth Wolf. And again, it just, it's one of the, one of the smaller aspects of new possibilities that this episode opened with the force. But to me, I, I kind of took it where Ahsoka knew about this, where it's probably something that wasn't 
you know, too, un- maybe it, not necessarily common, but it wasn't too far fetched that other Jedi's and their teachings would know about the possibility of once a force user would die, like their will can manifest itself in another living being, but it's, like their consciousness might not be there, but you kind of know it's their spirit in a way. Mm-hmm. And to me, I mean, that's, I took it as like, it's this level below force ghosts because we know that's up until Qui-Gon and Yoda, that was, you know, some, not too many Jedi ever knew about that. You can retain your consciousness after death. But so to me, I kind of took, you know, Kanan's uh, after he died, his essence or his will becoming a loath. was kind of like a tier below a Jedi after they die, becoming one with the force and retaining their consciousness as the force goes. So I found that kind of interesting where as Ahsoka was explaining that to Ezra, this is probably as far as to the extent of normal Jedi knowledge and teaching went as far as one's being, being one with the force after death and how they could still affect the living force through the cosmic force. But then they just got taken to a whole nother level once, uh, Qui-Gon discovered the, you know, uh, the priestesses and that training and then passing it down to Yoda and so on. So mm-hmm. I just thought that was kind of cool. It was kind of showing of what, to the extent most Jedis knew about life or after death through the cosmic force and the living force right there. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, on the one hand, I can definitely see that point um, and agree that, you know, like you said, maybe it was just something that the Jedi knew of, like, to a certain extent. Um, and that Qui-Gon was just the one to be like, hey, well, like, if if your consciousness can kind of manifest itself after death, shouldn't we be able to, like, solidify that in a way? And, like, is there a way to become powerful enough in the Force that you can keep yourself as you instead of just ending up, you know, sort of subconsciously affecting an animal or yeah. something like that? Um but at the same time, I also think, like, maybe this is even something that didn't happen for just normal Jedi, but that maybe had something to do with not just Kanan, but also just the fact that he was on Lothal, which we know is a planet that's, you know, steeped in the forest, that these temples are there, that you've got Loth wolves that are very in tune with the forest themselves. And so, you know, if Kanan had died on some other planet where they didn't have sort of you know, force sensitive creatures like that, like maybe nothing would have happened. That's a good um, point too. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that could have had something to do with it too, but I think that was a very cool way to, um, yeah. I mean, again, like you said, just adding another new aspect to the force, um, but to kind of keep Kanan not alive, but just, you know, just to, sort of keep his presence in the story in a small way to be um, just continuing to guide Ezra a little bit up until the end of this episode. Yep. But man, could this episode get any better? I think it can. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you could throw in, I don't know, something crazy like Ian McDermott voicing Palpatine or something like yeah. that. But, I mean, what point would that have in this story? Oh, wait, that happened. Oh, man. That was cool, too. I mean, we knew he was going to be in these last few episodes. But uh, they even teased, I think, before this one aired that this would be you know, this central episode where we'll see Ian McDermott voice Palpatine again. And it was really, <laughs> really cool. And just very Palpatine. I just loved how, cause that's another thing where they didn't really explain too much where Ezra's going to, you know, wanting to save Kanan there. Was that really, you know, as he heard Kanan's voice, was that him actually hearing that or being guided by this realm? Or was that a trick by Palpatine? Cause he mm. kind of, you know, had his, now that Ezra was there, he kind of had his foot in the door. He could sense him 
in that realm and I'm using that, you know, looks like that's that Sith magic type uh, ritual that he did from the Yoda arc. Like that was his gateway into this realm uh, through Ezra. So did he know he was there and he planted kind of that vision of what happened to Kanan to lure him into that spot? Or did he just happen to show up afterwards? Uh, I don't know. It's, kind of like to think it was all Palpatine's uh, manipulation there because if I remember right, I think we hear a little bit of Kanan's voice before it goes into Palpatine and right before he manifests himself within that portal. I think that's the case. If so, that just leads me to believe more that it was kind of Palpatine's doing, luring Ezra there through, you know, trying to tempt him to save Kanan. But, you know, I just as far as the cool seeing Palpatine in there and trying to get Ezra and, I mean, just hearing Aaron McDermott say Ezra Bridger and Ahsoka Tano mm-hmm. <laughs> that was just awesome in itself. But I just love the idea. And this is nothing that actually happens in the episode, but I think beyond that, regarding why Palpatine really wants this. I mean, first off, it's pretty much the ultimate power he can have to have access to the realm to change things even more so <laughs> to shape the galaxy the way he wants them. Uh, maybe he wouldn't be able to, like, it's still a mystery this era, so this realm. So maybe once he gets there, he couldn't have easy access to any time point. It maybe could have been hard, harder to, you know, mess with things. We don't know because he didn't get what he wanted. But what I kind of like most about this, as I think about it, is just how how much would Palpatine think like he would want to keep this from Vader, because this mm-hmm. would be the ultimate temptation for Vader, or even just. Uh, tool for him to get what he wants. I mean, can you imagine if Vader found out about this, how hard he would do to try to get back there and stop himself from killing Padme or even go further, falling under the dark side to Palpatine? Just all these possibilities. Like, this is just would probably be a dream come true for Vader if he knew about this. So part of me thinks that Palpatine really wants to get here first without Vader's knowledge because he knew this would be you know, a weakness for Vader and he would want to use it for himself and ruin everything. So I kind of like the idea as I just think about it in my head, how Palpatine really wants to get this, not only for himself, but also to keep it away from Vader <laughs> because like I said, how much of a, you know, just a realm and a possibility that Vader would just, you know, be obsessed with if he ever found out about it. Cause I would could think of, especially now before he even knew about Luke, if he knew about this place, all his attention would be here. That would just probably cause more of a rift between him and Palpatine. So mm-hmm. right now, that's what got me really excited about Palpatine being there. Just the other, you know, other aspects of the story that would be involved that we don't get to see, but you can kind of play it out in your head, knowing the relationship between Palpatine and Vader in here. I just think that adds another layer of coolness to Palpatine being involved in the story arc. And with this realm or this world between worlds here in this realm, which is so, so cool when you think about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, like you're saying, just the whole implications of him knowing about this place. And um, I mean, even the potential that opens up for future stories and comics and stuff like that. And what other kind of Sith alchemy and dark magic and stuff Palpatine was up to is like, you can get into some really cool and interesting stuff there. I mean, just to see him, like the way that he opened his portal into this realm and he, you know, he had that kind of altar with the blue fire. And then even the fact that he was shooting, not force lightning, but basically projecting like blue fire um, into this realm to, you know, try to, to chase Ezra and Ahsoka out. Well, I guess he wasn't trying to chase him. He's probably trying to kill him or grab him or whatever, but you know, they were, you know, running away from him the whole time. 
Um, and I was like, wait, is this a new force power that he can just also shoot fire? Or is he just doing that from his, you know, his magic thing or whatever? But, um, you know, and I mean. Still no match for a lightsaber. I love when it's so good. Cut off that, <laughs> that little the tangled thing that I caught Ezra by the by the foot. It was pulling him to see a lightsaber do what mm-hmm. it does best. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, just once again, like you said, just adding new aspects to the force and seeing it do things we haven't seen it do before was just really cool. Um, And of course, having Ian McDermott back as Palpatine um, and just, you know, it was just a a really cool addition to this episode to have, um, you know, not only Ahsoka and then the moment with Kanan, but it's, and then, you know, having the voices of all those characters come together, it's like, okay, how can we have the, the icing on the cake now? And it's like, well, let's have some sort of dark presence for them to confront in here and just have it be Emperor Palpatine, um, who is like also actually not there, but like actively looking for this place and like reaching in there to try to get them. Um, so that was, I mean, just an awesome way to end it. And it was interesting because also right before they they get to Palpatine, um, you know, again, Ezra and Ahsoka were talking and she basically realizes that, I mean, she knows that she's sort of on borrowed time. And even though, like we were saying, like this maybe was sort of always meant to happen, um, I think she feels like this maybe isn't, natural or that you know she knows that Ezra kind of broke the laws of of space or time or physics or whatever to be able to save her and she says like I can't leave this temple like you have to go on without me because if I was like supposed to be dead and now I go back out in the real world like who knows what's what kind of implications that's gonna have um at least that was kind of what I was reading into it she didn't say all of that but she did say like you have to go on and like I I can't leave this temple um, but then they find Palpatine and he's, you know, shooting that fire in there, trying to kill them both. And sure enough, Ezra and Ahsoka end up splitting up and both running for separate doorways. And, um, you know, Ezra's going back to back out to Lothal. And he says to Ahsoka, um, you know, once you get back to your own time, like, come find me. Um, and she, you know, gets away from Palpatine and runs out the doorway. And she's just back on the floor of the temple on Malachor. Um, and then you see her descending down that staircase, just like we saw at the end of Twilight of the Apprentice when we didn't know if that was a vision or, a um, some sort of metaphorical thing or whatever, but it's like, oh no, that was, she just got dropped off right back where she was, um, opening up a whole slew of new possibilities for, uh, what could be next for her character now. So, um, I don't know. you know, just a, a really cool way to wrap things up and a really cool um, just opening of of whole new possibilities for the character of Ahsoka, for the Force as a whole. Um, and then, of course, the, you know, the temple ends up getting buried. Ezra escapes and he's there and he sees the Loth Wolves and, uh, you know, says goodbye to uh, the one that called itself doom and he realizes that that was Kanan and finally gets to um, kind of say goodbye to Kanan one last time and um, make peace with that part of the story. So um, man, yeah, really cool episode. Oh yeah. It's, it just might be my favorite episode of the series. I don't know. Yeah. Because Twilight of the Princess part two, like I said, nothing's really topped that, but this one's pretty close. Uh, yeah. I still have to think about it more, but it's up there. It's, 
definitely one of the best for what it introduced and just like I said at the beginning, it had a lot of what I love about Star Wars in this one episode and how it ended too was done nicely. I mean, as soon as Ahsoka went back to that portal and uh, returned to Malachor, I just, you know, had to give a little applause to <laughs> Dave Filoni and the crew there because it all makes sense now when you look back at where they left things in Twilight of the Apprentice Part 2. It just, they had a plan and they executed it beautifully. And that's, At that moment, that's where it made me really think that this was all meant to happen with Ahsoka and why she was always meant to live and be back at that point. So that was great. And then, like you said, this episode was also a nice final farewell to Kanan here at the end when uh, Hera is talking with Ezra. And then Ezra actually says goodbye to the Lulf Wolf there. So just beautifully done all the way around. So, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, man, and now as it feels like we're, we're wrapping up this big discussion on this big momentous episode it's like okay well i guess now we can talk about the series finale yeah um <laughs> and i said it after this episode it's going to be hard for the series finale to top a world between worlds and i gotta be honest i can't say that it did and that's not a fault of finale i think this speaks more to how amazing a world between worlds was yeah well and i would agree i mean before we get into this here i will say like on the whole i thought the finale was it was definitely solid. I definitely enjoyed it, and I thought it was a good way to wrap up the whole series. Um, I wasn't really blown away by it. I would say I, mm-hmm. I would equate it more to, like, the season three finale um, than to, like, Twilight of the Apprentice or even Fire Across the Galaxy. Um, yeah. Until the, like, last five minutes of it, and just the possibility the exciting possibilities that that opens up for more future star wars stories um i thought was just like i absolutely loved it like it almost didn't feel like a series finale it felt like a to be continued in the next star wars animated series or something like that um and we'll come back to this We're, we're jumping to the end here but i would say as of right now like as far as ranking the finale like the season finales i would probably say i'd go like season two then one, then four, then three, um, I think would be my ranking. I, four and one could maybe flip-flop, but definitely, I mean, see, Twilight of the Apprentice is head and shoulders above the rest, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, I mean, we see Ezra after leaving the temple now with, you know, sort of a, a renewed sense of purpose. And he's like, OK, well, we got one mission left, and that's to finally drive the Empire off of Lothal. Um, and so the second to last episode, Wolves and a Door, or not, sorry, not Wolves and a Door. I'm looking at the wrong recap here. Um, <laughs> a Fool's Hope, um, where they scrounge together their... Uh, you know, ragtag band of allies to try to fight the empire. And I thought it was interesting here that, um, you know, after the resolution of sort of the, um, the rebel mission to, you know, take out the fuel depot and try to stop Thrawn's tie defender program. It's like, they're basically done with the rebel Alliance after that. Like in a way, the rebels almost abandoned them. Well, they basically did abandon them after that mission. Like, um, you know, like, um, the, the, you know, they sent the fleet of X-Wings and everything, um, to attack Lothal. They all got wiped out and it's like, well, they couldn't spare any more resources or, you know, more of their fleet, which kind of makes sense because obviously they had to be very smart about, um, 
when and where they allocated their forces and stuff and they obviously had bigger fish to fry you know coming up in rogue one as we you know would soon see um but it's like with the early seasons i thought this whole thing was going to be culminating with like the creation of the rebel alliance um and certainly that was like a big moment along the way but then you come to the the end here and it's kind of stripped back to just the ghost crew and like the characters that they've personally bonded with along the way and it's not this big rebel force that's coming which actually makes a lot of sense because this couldn't be a victory for the rebel alliance yeah. right like that would have sort of been a, a plot hole because in the beginning of a new hope it says the rebels have just won their first major victory against the evil empire um and we see that first major victory happened in rogue one and since this is still before rogue one like the rebels couldn't win a decisive victory against the empire on lothal um but the ghost crew could um coupled together with hondo and some old clone troopers and uh you know some other allies that they're able to scrounge up together you know uh callus we you know finally get to see back in action um hondo's little ugnot pig guy um <laughs> frankly i'm kind of surprised i'm kind of surprised they didn't bring lando into it um but it was just you know all these characters that we've kind of seen pop up along the way and it was just you know them uh kind of you know doing whatever they could to to try to fight the empire and then of course the loaf wolves come in and play a huge part in this um and again that was just so cool to see um you know the the loaf wolves just tearing through the imperial forces and that line when gregor is like hey wolf you know you got your wolf pack again um man just loved all of that um, oh yeah i mean for me this was the f first episode of the three-part finale a fool's hope this was the highlight of the action for this finale i would agree I yeah because that attack on you know their small little base right there was really well done. But then when you throw the Lolf Wolf actions, oh man, <laughs> that was just incredible. Just seeing him tear through the stormtroopers, and I love the end. You know how they made the presence known. We saw that shot in the trailer where Ezra ignited his lightsabers, and you see a few Lolf Wolves behind them, and we never know what that was. You know who's facing down there, and now we know it was this attack of Rook and a bunch of the stormtroopers. And man, mm -hmm. they just went to town on them, <laughs> but. Uh, it's just great seeing the clones back in action too. I mean, with Rex, Gregor, and Wolf. This, it was a few little quick shots here and there, but just the fact that they're back in there and they played the the clones theme as they yes. stayed out of the ghost ship. Yeah, I was about to say cool. that wasn't just a few quick shots. They got one last moment in the spotlight there with man when they came charging out of that gunship and the clone theme started playing again. Oh, that was good stuff. Yeah, I guess I say quick shots because you know, as dire clone fans, I always we always want more. So well, <laughs> yeah, like quick that's shots in the grand scheme of things. But you're right; it was a little more than that. But yeah, so all the action stuff was done really well there, and I like the setup too. Even though I knew, uh, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, the old governor played by Clancy Brown. Oh, uh, Ryder Azadi. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, I knew he wasn't fully betraying the rebels. As he went to Governor Price to tell her, you know, I'll give you them, I'll give you our location, all that. I knew it was just to get her to the rebels so they can use her to get into the base on the Imperial base on Lothal. But even though I knew it was just a ploy, it was still, I thought, effective uh, for him to do that and to play that along uh, that way. You don't know if he's, you know, really betraying him or not. 
uh, it worked well for the story that they were telling that that's the way they went about to get Governor Price to their location and make for a cool action sequence. So mm-hmm. the only thing I'd question is how did we know how did Rook survive being you know chomped down on that low slope, thrown off the cliff, and then he comes back <laughs> later. We know he could survive high falls, he could climb, but I thought the low slope you know kind of chopped him pretty good. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know. Climb back out from the that injury there, but yeah, it was that highlight of the episode for me. It was like like you seeing the little wolves in action and hearing Gregor call that out to Wolf and hearing them acknowledge that was just really, really cool. So, yeah, the action highlight was definitely a full soap in the finale. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then we move into uh, the family reunion and farewell where they've now captured Governor Price. Um, they're going to take her back to, you know, the big Imperial Dome on Lothal, which we now find out is basically a spaceship. You know, yeah. the Empire is using these it's almost like giant like settlement domes that they can just land a whole city on a planet um, and then have it leave again when they're done. Um, and so basically their plan is to, you know, use governor price to infiltrate the dome and like recall all the Imperial forces on Lothal basically as a, an emergency drill or something. And then like lock down the dome and just blast it into space and blow it up. Um, and of course, as usual, things don't go exactly according to plan, and they have to, uh, you know, fight a lot of Imperials along the way and stuff. Um, and of course, you know, like you were saying, Rook comes back, and they have, you know, a final showdown. I don't even remember exactly what they were trying to do, but it's like, um, you know, kind of typical big climactic battle kind of stuff, where it's like, oh, we got to shut down this generator and activate this thing, and the team is split up in two different areas, and um but you know they end up fighting over like the last objective or whatever and you got all the clones fighting and the stormtroopers and the death troopers and um zeb ends up frying rook down in some (laughs) energy generator thing once they finally get it turned on um and of course somebody had to to you know go out in a blaze of glory and that was gregor um so not all the clones survived but hey you know what we didn't expect gregor to survive back when you know he was in that big explosion Mm -hmm. Um, good point you know, back in season five of the Clone Wars. So, um, you know, he definitely got, you know, his his shining moment and had a heroic death. But um, yeah, and I, I love the dialogue he had with Rex there in his last words saying, you know, it was an honor to fight with him in a battle that they got to choose. Unlike yeah. the Clone Wars. So that was just a great farewell moment for Gregor, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, but, you know, the rebels are, obvi- you know, ultimately successful in their mission until Thrawn comes back from Coruscant. And so, oh, and this was that's right. This is part of it, too. He comes back like as they're trying to evacuate the dome and just starts bombarding the city um, and, you know, basically is threatening Ezra like, well, OK, you've thanks for bringing all my troops back into my dome. Now you've left the city, you know, free of Imperials and it's yeah. just civilians. And I'm just going to start laying waste to it and killing people until you surrender. Um, so Ezra goes to surrender to Thrawn um, while the rest of, you know, their crew is uh, trying to get the shields up over the city and then get this dome to blast off and stuff. Um, so Ezra, you know, against the wishes of um, Hera and everybody, you know, just goes to surrender to Thrawn. He's got Sabine kind of working with him to help him get out Um and he goes and, uh, you know, you're wondering, like, oh, well, does Ezra have a plan here? Like, because he seems to now be kind of in the same boat Kanan was where, um, you know, after, like, talking to the wolves when Kanan wanted to go rescue Hera, he, 
you know, you can kind of see a change. Like he realized, oh, this is what I have to do now. Um, and I'm wondering if even the wolves maybe showed him a vision of his own death or something. Because remember in like the, I think it was the mid-season finale, he wanted to go speeding off to the city by himself yeah. to save Hera. And then he ran into the wolves and realized, you know, maybe that was when they showed him like, no, you need to not just save Hera, but if you play this right, you'll have to sacrifice yourself, but you can not just save her, but complete the mission that she failed to complete. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had to kind of surrender himself to a, a higher purpose. Um, and I think Ezra now kind of had that same determination about him. And so it was like, oh, what's going on here? Like, does he have a plan for dealing with Thrawn? Um, and sure enough, he did. Um, and you have this really cool moment that felt a little bit out of left field, but at the same time made sense, I thought, for Ezra and his character, because so much of his sort of what makes him special, I guess, what makes him stand apart from other Jedi is his connection to nature and that ability that he has to um, sort of connect with the minds of other creatures and other beings. Um, And we saw him do that first with, you know, loaf cats and then the loaf wolves. And then we get the return of, I don't even remember what they're called, but the giant space whale things from back in like, yeah, the Pergil from, I think, was it season two or three? It was two. Yeah, and they were in one of those episodes that kind of felt like a filler episode. But at the same time, I also thought these were some really cool creatures. Just the idea of these um, basically space whales that could, like, travel through hyperspace Mm -hmm. um, because of, you know, this natural energy that they had or whatever. So these things show up and just decimate Thrawn's fleet. And again, on the one hand, it almost seemed like, well, that was kind of too easy. Why didn't they just do that before? But at the same time, you know, to have this be Ezra's kind of, you know, final trump card to play in his, you know, sort of big shining moment here in the finale against Thrawn, I thought it was actually pretty cool to see these things come back. And I thought it was, um, yeah, made sense for er- for Ezra's character that he would call these things. Um, and it wasn't just him calling them through the force. I think he actually, maybe it was Wolf who said like, oh, you know, Ezra told me like our backup plan if things go south is to, you know, basically fly the ghost up into orbit and and transmit this signal. Yeah. Um, so they were able to lure them in that way. Um, so, you know, the Purgles show up, they, they wreck, you know, Thrawn Star Destroyers and then... Um, you know, with their big tentacle arms, they, uh, you know, reach into the bridge and grab Thrawn where he's got Ezra up there. Um, but of course, then everybody's, you know, telling Ezra to evacuate. And he's like, no, you know, I got to see this through. I got to make sure Thrawn doesn't escape. Um, and so he stays up there because Thrawn, of course, is struggling to get away from the Purgle and he's trying to shoot him and stuff. But they've got him wrapped up tight and Ezra stays there using the force to restrain him as the Purgle, you know, with their tentacles around Thrawn Star Destroyer just jump back into hyperspace and that's kind of the end of the uh the battle there um and it's like well where did they go you know Ezra's gone Thrawn's gone um according to Dave Filoni they are absolutely not dead they're still out there yeah (laughs) um but it was just it it was a really cool way to resolve the conflict in a way that you know we weren't expecting but again that perfectly wraps up all these loopholes um like in the original trilogy it was like well you know you thought maybe kanan and ezra were gonna have to die because otherwise how is luke gonna be the last of the jedi like wouldn't yoda or obi-wan still know that you know somebody else is still out there especially yoda because he talked to ezra Mm -hmm. um 
And it's like, well, Kanan's dead, and Ezra's not dead, but he certainly wasn't anywhere accessible um, in, you know, during the time of the original trilogy. Like, we don't know where he was, but he was lost in space somewhere. Um, or maybe they're on some remote planet or something. But again, he's certainly not, um, you know, wasn't in any position to, like, be in the fight and come back as a Jedi and help the Rebellion fight the Empire. So... Um, just sort of taking, and you know, with Thrawn as well, it's like, well, why, where was Grand Admiral Thrawn and all this? Well, he and Ezra were both well out of the picture. Um, and at the same time, now perfectly poised to come back in the picture in some future, uh, you know, yep. maybe animated <laughs> series or something like that. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I thought it was a cool way to end the story and definitely a great way to set up for some potential interesting future stories. And we'll talk about, uh, I'll let you, you know, kind of give your thoughts on that before we go into um sort of the epilogue i guess and um the real implications for future stories that that has no yeah i mean kind of knew going in that at least for me i never thought they were going to kill ezra off but i knew they had to get him out of the picture for the original trilogy just how they were going to do that was what i was curious about and i definitely did not see it coming like they did in the show bringing the pergol involved with it I got to say, that was probably as good as Rebels ever looked. That sequence of the Purgle just tearing through Star Destroyers, it just looked very cinematic and it was very, very cool. But I love this shot where you're in the interior of the Star Destroyer and Thrawn's talking to Ezra, but then you just see the Purgle's face close up through the window. <laughs> it's kind of like looking inside before it just breaks in and cracks through in there. So it was definitely an interesting way to you know, have it end, but it still definitely makes sense, like you were saying, with Ezra and his connection to animals and nature and it thought he would use them because he had that connection with the Purgle as he connected with one of them in that episode in season two. So uh, there was an interesting way and definitely surprising. I was not expecting that uh, Ezra's story, at least for now, to end with uh, the way it went down in this episode. But in the end, I was fine with it. And just the overall finale in general, I agree with what you said in the beginning. It wasn't the most amazing thing ever. It wasn't you know, as, you know, as epic as the Rebels ever got. But at the same time, I was just very satisfied with how things ended and where the characters ended up, which we'll get to in a little bit. So, you know, it was satisfying. I just wouldn't I wouldn't say, you know, the best thing, greatest thing ever <laughs> with Rebels. So but one thing you didn't touch on just yet was the another appearance we got from Palpatine in this episode. And oh, yeah. One last temptation he tried to get with Ezra in that sequence. And it was just typical Palpatine. It was, you know almost seen him uses his manipulative abilities like he did with Anakin again here in this episode. And this is where I think even more so Ian McDermott as Sidious, seeing him just as, you know, Palpatine, as we saw him in the prequels for the most part of it, playing, you know, the nice old man character, the mentor type figure, the loving like father figure that he's trying to be. But, you know, it's all just an illusion of what he really wants. And I just took it here like this is his one last chance to get Ezra to where he needs him to access that the world between worlds again. And this is his last shot and to tempt Ezra with, you know, be reunited with his parents again, which, you know, obviously I don't think that was the case. And at first I was thinking, did Palpatine actually have a little, did he get an access to the world between worlds? And he's showing Ezra like the past with his parents. But as I think, thought about it more, I just said, no, he's just, you know, using the force to you know, cause an illusion to Ezra to make him see, you know, what he wanted to see in the, chance to save his parents but it wasn't actually in the world between worlds of the one of those portals that we saw in that episode but just palpatine doing his thing 
trying to to seduce him and to get what he wants. But Ezra didn't fall fall to it. It was a great moment once Ezra, you know, tore down that little remnant of the temple that Palpatine brought on board, and just seeing the transmission flicker from you know Palpatine to Sidious, like that was really cool. Then at mm-hmm. the end, once <laughs> Ezra showed that he's not going to take Palpatine's offer. He just full on Darth Sidious there. And how cool was it to see those Imperial Royal Guards bust into the room and it almost like those Crimson Empire comics with those the old EU ones. That's what the designs reminded me of. I haven't read those comics, but I've seen tons of images of those Royal Guards. I always thought they looked cool. So to kind of see a version of that brought into the main canon, I thought was awesome. And seeing them use their force pikes just that kept Ezra at bay, just you know, really taking the energy out of him was really cool. But mm. Ezra was able to get, I mean, if there wasn't that pile of rubble there, I don't know how Ezra was going to get out of that one. So, But it was just cool to see those Imperial Royal Guards. So that was another highlight of the finale for me. So, yeah, some cool stuff. But at the same time, like I said before, nothing that really blew me away. It was just some good character moments is what really made this finale work and end in a satisfying way. So, yeah, I'm definitely unexpected with the way things went down. There's a lot of surprises in this episode, which made it fun to watch. But at the same time, I by the time this episode ended, as the ghost crew was flying over Lothal, Lothal seeing all the people liberated and celebrating, it, it was a good way to end things. And I liked how even, this goes back to your point earlier, we talked about the rebellion not helping. I like that little line Zeb said at the end there too, where he goes, you know, we took Lothal without the re- rebellion's help and we'll keep it without their help too. Almost kind of showing that he was a little frustrated and annoyed that the rebel alliance didn't come to help him but you know through their resolve and you know their friends they were able to take it anyway so this a nice way to end it but at the same time i thought oh man i hope this isn't the last shot of the series where it's gonna fade away we just see in the ghost exit lothal the camera pans over the crowd celebrating it oh, there's got to be more because i really want to know where these characters end up in the course of the original trilogy and Thankfully, we did get the answers to that. Yeah, definitely. And this was by far my favorite part of the finale. Um, yes. Just the, again, sort of the epilogue where, and it's narrated by Sabine. Um, and like you said, after that shot of, you know, just sort of them flying over Lothal and showing that, you know, they won, they liberated it. Um, and you think like, oh, is does the story end here? It kind of jumps forward a few years and you have Sabine in that same tower that um, Ezra used to live in on Lothal. And you kind of get the sense that she's just been watching over it. And I forget what the line was, but Ezra had said something to her. Um, about, well, she he basically entrusted her with something. He said, like, I know I can trust you. Um, yeah. And she thought he meant to just watch over Lothal. And so she had been basically um, – just staying on Lothal as a protector for the past few years. At least it seemed like. I mean, I don't know if she had gone off world to help with the fight against the Empire or anything. Um, yeah, that was but, the other thing because they were keep expecting to the Empire to return to Lothal, but she says pretty early on in that epilogue that they never did come back to Lothal after that. Yeah. The other thing that's cool is you see her looking out over the city and a uh, an old Clone Wars era like Jedi shuttle flies overhead and so she gets on a speeder bike and takes off for the city as she starts narrating this and escorted by x-wings would made it look even cooler (laughs) yeah and she basically tells us what we already knew about you know the empire 
losing at the Battle of Endor and Palpatine being defeated and, you know, the Rebel Alliance, you know, winning all these victories and stuff. Um, so she kind of gives you that sort of state of the galaxy update. And so we get the, the idea that this is now, you know, after sometime after the Battle of Endor. Um, and she talks about uh, just what all the different characters were up to during that time. She says that, um, you know, uh, Rex and Wolf you know, fought against the Empire, um, or maybe, uh, she just mentioned Rex, maybe, but Dave yeah, Filoni, yeah, Dave Filoni finally got to uh, make it canon that Rex is that old bearded guy at the Battle of Endor, Pretty much, um, yeah. <laughs> which I think is awesome, <laughs> yeah, um, and it was really nice to see that, um, you know, Zeb and Callus remained friends, and that after the war, Zeb took Callus back to, uh, was it Lyrason? Um, you know, the new homeworld that he found for his people after they traveled through that, you know, the nebula or whatever. And so Callus got to stay there with the Lasat people who he thought he had, you know, wiped out. Um, and instead, basically, I mean, it seemed like almost became one of them. Like, I don't know if he lived there permanently, but that was sort of a nice um, final resolution to his sort of redemptive arc um, and the the sort of Callus and Zeb bromance there. Um and then, you know, of course, she also talks about Hera fight, fighting in the Battle of Endor and fighting for the Rebellion and stuff. Um, and then we find out that uh, there's a new member of the Ghost Crew, Spectre 7, and that Hera uh, has a son named Jason Syndulla. Um, and it was weird because the first time I saw it, like, right as soon as you see him, I was like, wait, did Hera have a kid with somebody else? But then um, Sabine says something about, um, you know, born to be a flyer, just like his mother. And we all know what his father was like. And I was like, oh, it's Kanan. Um, and so I thought that was, you know, a really sweet kind of touch. And it, But also very interesting. First of all, I was like, wait, when did they have time to, you know, like, obviously we're not going to see that. But um, I was like, wait, how long was she pregnant for? Um and I think somebody pointed out that apparently there's a moment in the finale where somebody says something about family and Hera like subtly places her hand over her stomach or something like that. So maybe she already knew at that point. Um, but also with him being the son of a Jedi, I'm hearing a lot of people speculating about, you know, could he potentially be one of Luke's trainees? And does that mean that he was killed by Kylo Ren? Or does that mean he's a Knight of Ren? And that's a whole huge trail we could go down in the future. Um, first of all, we don't even necessarily know that just because Kanan was a Jedi that Jason Sindula is also going to be a Jedi. He could end up just being a resistance pilot or something who doesn't end up with force powers. But I also think that's some very cool potential for a, a future Jedi character um, for maybe a potential future animated series or something like that. So um that was really cool to see um and i'm trying to remember were there any other updates on it like any other sort of story bits that they filled in during that epilogue before you know obviously we get to the final part no yeah pretty much all the recaps was just what you mentioned i mean sabine just mainly focused on the main ghost crew where just they showed Hera and now jason sandula then zeb and callus and then before we get to the final shot with sabine yeah, and that final shot with Sabine is her getting into the city on Lothal, um, meeting up on, you know, a landing pad or something where that Jedi shuttle ended up, and we see none other than Ahsoka Tano come back, um, 
And Sabine is kind of explaining through the dialogue that she realized, you know, at first she thought Ezra just wanted her to stay behind and um, protect Lothal. And then she realized, like, no, I think there's more to it. And he's still out there somewhere and I have to go find him. And um, and Ahsoka is like, she's looking like Gandalf or something here. She's got like yep. this long robe <laughs> and a, a staff and stuff. Um, and who knows what she's been up to, you know, during the whole, uh, you know, the rebellion era and everything. Because um, we know she's, I mean, she got out of that temple on Malachor. So, um you know, we don't know what she was up when to in the meantime. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because after a world between worlds, when Ezra says like, hey, when you get back to your own time, come find me. I thought he just meant like, hey, come meet up with me like immediately afterwards so you can help yeah, us fight too. the Empire. But now it's like, oh, we might have a whole nother context to that now. Yep. He meant, you know, come find me in hyperspace with Thrawn and the Pergil and, you know, whatever's she- going on there. Yeah, she said, I promise. So it was like one of those kind of fulfilling the promise that she made to him back then while she has to do it now with Sabine. So they're kind of both fulfilling the promises here. Yeah. So now we've got Sabine and Ahsoka taking off together to go find Ezra lost in space. And um, again, it was like the the resolution to rebels and it felt like a definitive conclusion to this storyline. But at the same time, I'm like, this story can just keep right on continuing. Um, you know, it's like they ended the story, but then jumped five years or whatever to after the battle of Endor. And it's like, man, we could just pick right up again with these same characters and keep telling more stories. Um, which just, man is I'm, like I said, this was my favorite part of it, not just because we get like a, a satisfying conclusion to the story and sort of resolution for all these characters and their story arcs, but also just the future possibilities are so exciting for this. And mainly, so here's what I'm picturing. I want I want another animated series set in between episodes six and seven. And I don't know if it should focus on Luke training his Jedi or if it should focus on Sabine and Ahsoka and their search for Ezra, or if both of those should just be, you know, sort of secondary story arcs that pop up from time to time. And, you know, the main focus is on a new protagonist and a new group of characters um, who kind of cross paths with these other characters that we've seen before. Um, But regardless, the idea that, like, you know, it would be uh, just such a wasted opportunity if Sabine and Ahsoka never crossed paths with Luke Skywalker at some point. Oh, man. Oh, man. Like, especially because Luke, you know, we know that for the first few years after Return of the Jedi, it seems like he didn't just jump into training Jedi right away. He spent a lot of time just traveling the galaxy and, and searching for old Jedi knowledge and relics and artifacts and all that kind of stuff well what better ancient jedi relic to go after than an ancient uh, not ancient but you know a jedi who's lost in space somewhere and you know he's got friends with, that are on a mission to you know try to go find him yeah with your father's padawan i mean right <laughs> right like dude that would be yeah that needs to happen yep man this is yeah Seeing Ahsoka at that final moment there was just the icing on the cake for a great finale. Because for a couple of reasons, first off, knowing that she is 
definitely around, not trapped. <laughs> First of all, we know she's alive at the end of a world between worlds, but we didn't know when she'd ever get out of Malachor. But now we know she is out by the time at the end of Return of the Jedi is just awesome. And just first off, I'm just really glad they established that the prologue or the epilogue, I should say, that it was after Return of the Jedi. Because as I was going on, I was wondering, okay, when's this taking place? Is this like during a new hope, this after Jedi? But then when Sabine mentioned the Battle of Endor, it's like, yes, they're doing it after Jedi, which was what I was hoping for. And yeah, so with Ahsoka, the reason that got me most excited about her being around this time period is exactly what you said, Kyle. The idea of her knowing about Luke, meeting Luke, and just maybe going on an adventure with Luke, all that's a possibility now. And I don't know how anyone could not be excited about that. Because even when we first got the reveal that Ahsoka was going to be in Rebels, I always said, I mean, if she's going to be killed off in this series, like her story is going to end here, I just hope she is aware of Luke Skywalker's existence, whether it's in a Force vision or she makes it a Tatooine or some Tatooine for some reason. I just wanted to know about Luke just to give her that hope that, you know, Anakin just wasn't completely gone in the dark side. You know, the light side of Anakin still survived through his son. Mm-hmm. I just wanted her to know about Luke. And now that's definitely possible. No, I think it's definitely. I don't even think it's a possibility because if she's around, she consenses what's going on, what happened with the Battle of Endor with Luke and Darth Vader and Palpatine. She's got to be aware of everything that's happening there. So she knows about Luke. That makes me extremely happy. Not to mention the story possibility possibilities that you just mentioned about them looking for Ezra. Just so, so cool. I will say, though, it was a little bit on the nose of making her like Gandalf the White. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Dave Filoni has teased that after the season two finale where she's kind of going to have a Gandalf-like transformation. But... You know, with the white robes and then having that staff is like maybe a little too on the nose, but maybe we'll get an explanation why she's carrying a staff now and not the lightsabers. But regardless, I'm just happy that she's back and around in this time period and it's going to make for some amazing stories and hopefully amazing, you know, interactions with characters. And the other thing I wanted to touch on too, going back to Jason Sandula, I couldn't help after, you know, got confirmation that that was Kanan's son. I just couldn't help but think, we're seeing a future Knights of Ren right there. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm going to be completely wrong, but how can you not think about him having force potential and being one of Luke's students and the possibility of him joining with Kylo Ren and being one of the Knights of Ren? Because I don't know. I don't think it's a coincidence that they named him Jason and they did confirm mm-hmm. it is spelled J-A-C-E-N, just like Jason Solo was in the EU. And we all know what happened to him. He went to the dark side. And so I just can't help but think that maybe that might be the path that Jason Sandula might take as he joins up with Kylo Ren. So that story possibility has me excited as well. So just, you know, might just be crazy speculation, but it's it is fun to think about nonetheless, which is, like you said, which made this finale so satisfying to me. It ended all the major story arcs for these characters in this series, but set up some truly exciting stuff for the future and man i just can't wait whether it is in an animated series novels or comic books i just can't wait to see more of these characters again it's just going to be so much fun with where they left things in this finale yeah definitely and i feel like first of all i'm glad that they got to end rebels on their own terms unlike clone yes. wars that they got to build <laughs> yes. up to a finale and and finish it the way they wanted to and i just feel like whatever like i'm so excited for whatever comes next now because i feel like they have so much momentum behind them now with 
you know sort of two series worth of characters that can now carry over into um you know in, into whatever they're doing next like i mean you you have to capitalize on that and do a series in between episode six and seven and you know to have both ahsoka and sabine um poised to you know definitely play a major role in that um you know main protagonists from like two previous star wars series now joined together in a third era um it's just it's it's just feeling like such a a tight-knit just joining of these stories and i think it's just going to be so strong once we get to see you know what comes next plus the fact that again now you can bring in um luke and even like han and leia and chewie if you wanted to like those characters don't necessarily have to be off limits anymore because like oh we don't want to interfere with them too much before we meet them in a new hope um now you've got 30 years worth of stories with those established characters to tell before they get to where they are in um return of the jedi or sorry in force awakens um but yeah just the potential of like creating new characters having returning characters from the original trilogy and returning characters from two previous animated series and being able to bring them all together in this timeline and just tell you know a a limitless number of um interesting stories is just it's got me so excited for the future of star wars animation yeah i couldn't agree more i mean i can kind of picture dave filoni doing stuff similar like we saw in rebels bringing clone wars characters with this new series they're going to do if it is set between jedi and force awakens the way he did with like bringing ahsoka back at the end of season one we'll see when he does if i could totally you know picture him bringing Ezra back for a big role or a story arc they might have later on in the season for this new series and maybe the setup even it'd be a setup to that like you said Luke Ahsoka Sabine out looking for <laughs> Ezra I mean um, there's different ways you can go about it have it be early on or have it be later down the line where it's a little bit after Jedi and Luke is establishing the Jedi his new Jedi temple and all that but then Maybe it takes Sabine and Ahsoka that long to find Ezra, and that plays a role in Luke setting up his order. So there's tons of different things you can do with it. And like you said, I'm just so excited that those possibilities are there. And just got to, again, like we usually do, tip our hats to Dave Maloney and his crew with Rebels and how they ended things and set up for future stories. This is really, really exciting. Mm. you know what i just realized it's a shame they didn't do this storyline sooner because then they totally could have brought thrawn back and had him basically fill the same role that he did in the old eu with you know taking over the remnants of the empire Mm. um but obviously he's still out there somewhere too and he could come back to still play a role in either the empire or the first order um you know that's another good point too i mean we know who knows where the Pergo went, but they could have went to those, you know, unknown regions where the First Order or the Empire retreated and the First Order was reborn. I mean, Ezra and Thrawn could have, you know, firsthand knowledge of what all went down and how the First Order really rose to power. And Snoke, maybe they could, you know, they know the secrets of Snoke <laughs> in a way. So of what maybe they possibly learned at that time if they do end up going into the unknown region. So, again, there's more stuff that could add to you know what we already know when in the state of the galaxy and the sequel trilogy it's just exciting that we can fill in more of those gaps in return of the jedi and the possibilities with these characters 
Yeah, definitely. Um, man, I just, uh, I can't wait to see what comes next. Um, and I really hope we don't have to wait till celebration next year to find out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Hopefully we find out before that. And that's where we get our first trailer. And you know, yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say, that's probably when we'll get our first like real good look at it. Um, but you know, who knows what, maybe we'll get an announcement, just, you know, news article drop on a random Tuesday that, you know, yeah. this is what the next series is going to be. Because we did hear too that Lucasfilm has, you know, trademark or about the domain name for Star Wars Resistance, and immediately that is that true. This screams, you know, <laughs> the next animated series. It just goes, you know, Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars Resistance. It feels natural. <laughs> that is true. Although, ah, oh, man, but I would love to see it take place closer to Return of the Jedi. Honestly, um, like a yeah. few a few years after, but because. <sighs> The resistance, you know, I, I'm assuming it doesn't really form till closer to um, the Force Awakens. Oh yeah, you're right. And you know, Ezra and Sabine and Ahsoka and everybody—they'd all be not like dead and gone by then. But you would assume that that uh, Ahsoka and Sabine aren't going to be like wandering around for 25 years trying to find Ezra. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Um, of course, we could also get... I mean, it's a 30-year span. We could get multiple series set during that time span, too. So, yeah, who that's knows? Also. Yeah, um, we just want it sooner than later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, please. Um, but, yeah, I mean, good stuff. I think that's uh, pretty much going to wrap up our thoughts on the Rebels finale, unless you got anything else you want to add before we finish up. No, let you do it. Just, you know, great to finally talk about it. I've been chomping at the bits, and especially after a world between worlds to talk with you about these really great episodes. And again, I just thought, you know, these last episodes, beginning with Jedi Knight up into the final the series finale, it just felt like one big, long narrative, almost if you were to watch them all together, be a great uh, final movie in the story they were telling. It just all flowed mm-hmm. together very nicely. And like I said, it wasn't, you know, the most amazing finale ever but it was definitely very satisfying and left me happy with where uh, all the characters ended up so yeah just a job well done all the way around yeah and i think looking back on it now i mean i i kind of want to go back and re-watch it but i think i would safely say that season four was the best and most consistently solid season of rebels yeah you might be right i'll have to think about it a little bit more but it there's a good argument for that. Yeah, there were definitely no filler episodes, um, and there was a a lot of cool stuff that happened. Um, you know, they definitely kept the story moving, and uh, you know, just had a, a lot of eventful stuff, and you know, kept building up towards what was maybe not the most epic and you know, blow you out of your seat conclusion, but uh, definitely a very satisfying. Um, and worthwhile conclusion to uh, a great series. So um, well done, as always, to Dave Filoni and all the Rebels crew, and uh, can't wait to see what they've got in store for us next. Yep, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so before we uh, make our exit, um, Tim, what do we got over on the social media front from our listeners? Yep, got a few responses on the Rebels finale and the John Favreau news. Uh, so first up, as always, I like to put up the polls when <laughs> these big Star Wars events are news. So I put up a poll on what everyone thought on the Rebels finale. 
So uh, first off, the options were it was a perfect ending, very satisfying, still got many questions, and then disappointing. So coming in last, only at zero uh, or five percent was disappointing, which was nice to see. Fifteen percent uh, was still got so many questions. Thirty-eight percent was very satisfying, and forty-two percent said it was the perfect ending. So seems everyone, at least the majority, thought it was a great ending, and to some, the perfect ending. I'd probably vote for very satisfying, <laughs> which is we've been saying as we were talking about it. Mm -hmm. But good to see the majority of. Um, our followers and listeners were satisfied with the Rebels finale like we were. But then Martin Elman at Dharmit Studios on Twitter says, I don't cry really at all, but when Ahsoka showed up and my daughter, who's two, said out loud, it's Ahsoka, I lost it. Such a beautiful ending to a fantastic show. Filoni for life. I can't wait to see what's on the horizon. Yeah, that, that was awesome for you to share with us that, Martin. Just have your daughter just really say a lot of Ahsoka. I can understand where that could bring you to tears. So that was awesome. Thanks for sharing it. And then Paul J at JJ Farms 31 said, love the way they used the clone boys in the last episode. Mildly disappointed that we didn't see more of a connection of story arcs to the rebellion situation at the time. But I think they wanted a happy ending for Lothal. Yeah, I remember Dave Filoni kept saying how it wasn't going to, tie in or lead up into the Battle of Scarif because that's not really focusing on Ezra's story and what their characters being fully involved in that and how he had to wrap things up differently without having Scarif involved. And I think that was definitely the right decision just to end it on a smaller scale, so to speak, within the Rebellion and just have it focus on the characters as uh, it did with Ezra you know, and Kanan and sacrificing themselves and, you know, for, the, for their family in a way, but yet leading them to join the Rebellion later on. So this again i thought dave handled it really really well and then quickly on the john favreau announcement paul gann on facebook says yes with five exclamation points and he even said that he, uh, he should be making episode nine in his humble opinion which before we got the jj announcement i definitely wouldn't mind see john favreau take a crack at a star wars film so i could definitely understand where you're coming from there paul but at the same time i'm glad jj is still the one who's going to wrap up the trilogy that he started with but you know, can't complain. We've got both involved in Star Wars, so it's going to be great to see what they both come up with. Yeah, definitely. And then, and then finally, got an email sent to us from uh, Joseph Golden. Uh, he says, "Hey, Kyle and Tim, this has truly been the best time to be a Star Wars fan, from the Last Jedi all the way to last week's Rebels finale and an official announcement of a Star Wars live action show. I don't know how it can get any better than this. The fact that John Favreau is involved in the live action Star Wars TV series." Just gets me so excited because I love the work that he has done in both the MCU with Iron Man and in Star Wars The Clone Wars as Pre Vizsla. I have a feeling that this new show might be either the Underworld Project or something set in the sequel trilogy era, both of which really get me excited. Now onto my thoughts on the Rebel series finale and what a finale it was. The action, story, and character work was amazing, but the epilogue at the end truly shocked me, in a good way, because I didn't really expect it. I think that everyone's story wrapped up pretty nicely and left many doors open for more future stories to come with these characters. All in all, this final season of Rebels was pretty much everything I wanted it to be, and then some. Sorry for the long email, but I'm just buzzing with so much excitement for the future of Star Wars and where it can go. Now bring on Solo. Thanks, guys, and may the Force be with you. Uh, thanks, Joseph, for the email, and could not agree with you more <laughs> as you... Or just talk about that finale. Just again, how can you not be left excited as a Star Wars fan? It is a fan of the series in general to see it wrap up the way it did, but yet 
you know, there's more to come with these characters. So like you, Joseph, we're just super excited. So thanks for the email and thanks everyone for your responses on Twitter and Facebook. As always, it's great to hear your thoughts when we ever get big Star Wars events like this, when the TV shows or news announcements. So as always, thanks a lot. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for sharing your thoughts and reactions with us. Um, always great to connect with our listeners and get to, uh, you know, to share those reactions and those experiences with you guys. Um, and, uh, Man, yeah, can't wait for what's coming next. There's just so much awesome Star Wars potential on the horizon. And, um, man, it's just great to have you guys along taking the ride with us. Um, so, as always, you can check us out on social media. That, uh, that, that, you know, stuff. <laughs> um, you can find us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can send us an email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com, and you can check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com for all of the uh, latest news and rumors and updates and you know articles and stuff as we're posting them um and of course also be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the awesome podcasts in the thunderquack podcast network um in fact i think i should know how this works but i don't really um do they have to be a patreon subscriber to be able to hear us on the black panther spoiler cast that we just did a couple weeks ago no you can actually hear the black panther episode that we did on YouTube, but if you're a Patreon subscriber at the $5 tier, I believe you get access to the MP3 download of that episode, but you can't check it out on YouTube. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so you guys can check that out if you want to hear, uh, you know, Tim and I talking about uh, the latest Marvel movie um, with our friend Chris Clow. Uh, that was a lot of fun doing that. By the way, that movie is also awesome. Um, yes, I got to see that again. <laughs> yeah, me too. Definitely before Infinity War gets here. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will see you all next time and may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody.